Hi there! This episode of How To Wrestling, which Kevin assures me is not a joke, has been requested by Stephen Shepard, one of our amazing backers over at patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. If you want to support our little podcast and get access to over 40 bonus episodes, as well as our new series, How To Revisited, become a $5 backer now. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy How To Sandman. And welcome to How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. However, once again, I'm Cowboy Kevin Mann, joined in this journey of learning about the world of wrestling and its many colourful characters by my better half, Joe Graham. Hello. How's things, Joe? Things are, as always, pretty good. You know, this week we've got a very special episode because you and I are going to be talking about... The Sandman! Yo, the Sandman. There's going to be lots of monocles dropping into glasses of champagne on trains across the land because lots of people thought that this was a joke this episode that we weren't going to actually do it. And I was just having a hilarious jape at the end of a long five and a half hour Vince McMahon recording. <laughs> That's what we thought we'd do. We'd just sink nearly six hours into recording for Vince and then just do a joke. Yeah. Actually, the podcast finished after that. Yeah, it's, the thing is, well, if that was a joke, just we did as a little fun for you, for you and I, as long as we could go back and re-edit it and put in a new bit, because you could tell the difference between... There's a, a five-hour length uh, of, of voice that it takes on you, and you can hear that in the voice. Pretty pointless joke as well, given that I don't even know who Sandman is. So we have spent a bit of time this week learning all about the Sandman, and in my case, watching lots of incoherent shoot interviews with the Sandman. You now know who the man is... Why do you think people would have thought that this was a joke when we said we're going to talk about hardcore hack Jim Fullington or the Sandman as he's more commonly known? I mean, honestly, I don't really know because like watching all the stuff we watched, I didn't really think it was much of a joke. But, really? Like, going through people's tweets, I would I would guess that the reason people thought it was a joke is he's not very he's not a very gifted wrestler. Okay, now have we done episodes before about people who you would say would be yes not gifted? <laughs> <laughs> Please let me talk about how much I hate Hulk Hogan. <laughs> who would be some of the wrestlers that you would say that we have covered who would be, in your estimation anyways, as a newer fan, less athletically Hulk inclined? Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Okay, so... That's the weird thing to me, because like, people thought that Sandman was a joke. Mm-hmm. Why don't people think Hulk Hogan is a joke when we said we'd do... Hulk Hogan is a way worse wrestler than Sandman. Right. Sandman could fucking <laughs> kill Hulk Hogan. He puts him to shame. Sandman gets off his feet. He will land on his back. He'll do fucking big moves if he thinks it's going to you know, wow the crowd and he wants to do it. Even Hulk if he Hogan does... does fucking none of that. <laughs> so we're starting things off on a strong footing here with the, you know... Claiming that Sandman is better, in terms than, Hulk better than Hulk Hogan. In okay. all ways, by in the way. In all ways. I'm not just saying as a wrestler. I think in terms of strength of the gimmick. Okay, and what is what is this Sandman? It's a very cool name, I think we can all agree. But So you've, you've, you've revealed to us now that we know that the Sandman was, maybe has been tagged as being not a very skilled technician, but somebody says he's very charismatic. Can you explain this gimmick 
to a newcomer. I mean, if you're looking at this artwork here that Dan has done for this episode, by the <laughs> way, it's probably one of my favorite artworks he's ever done. It's fucking incredible. Yeah. Like, that puts like any artwork that's officially been done for the Sandman to complete shame, in my opinion. So often when we're doing the artwork with Dan, we'll send him, like, you'll send him matches, won't you? And yeah, like, yeah. You'll, you'll send him a fair bit of research and the story and who they are. And Dan likes as much information as possible. With the Sandman, you sent him his entrance. And yeah. Dan was like, okay, I get it. I literally sent him an entrance and then the word, yo, and that he pretty much got it. How would you describe the Sandman gimmick then? I think you can best describe the Sandman with actually the phrase on one of his t-shirts, which is blood, sweat and beers. (laughs) (laughs) So the man bleeds. Sandman is basically a guy with with the best entrance ever Mm. in in wrestling, probably. Okay. He comes out to enter Sandman by Metallica. Back in the day, he did anyway. Yeah. He comes out and he has like a can, a beer can, Mm -hmm. in his trouser pocket. And he takes it out and he like, he opens it up and it sprays everywhere. And then he drinks the beer and then he smokes a cigarette. (laughs) And oh, and then he smashes the can on his head and it cuts his head all up and he bleeds. And then he walks around on like the back of chairs and on like bar things. What are they the called? The guardrails. The guardrails. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, and he has a cane as well, a Singapore mm-hmm. cane thing or a kendo stick or whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, that that's pretty much it. But it's the coolest entrance ever. Why is it cool? Because I mean, I I will tell you right now, the Sandman. For me, I remember like I was like nine or ten years old. I just got into wrestling. And my brother's friends who've been interesting for a bit longer, they were the kind of the more hardcore fans. And they're like, who's your favourite wrestler, Kevin? And I was like, oh, I love Stone Cold Steve Austin. Why is that? Because he drinks beer and he uh, says rude words and he, he doesn't take no BS from no one. DTA. He says the word ass, doesn't he? Does. He, he says, says the word ass. a bad ass. boy. It's a bad boy. And then like, I remember his friends were like, oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> this man fucking smokes cigarettes, all right? He comes out to me. Metallica. So like, I thought like, for me, I, at that time, I thought that was the coolest thing. And that, for me, I always thought was the Sandman's biggest strength was there was a mystique. You heard as a WWE fan or a WCW fan back in the day that somewhere in this grotty, dingy arena in ECW in Philly, there was this guy smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, hitting people with sticks, who was like Steve Austin times a million. But I figured with the benefit of all the culture that has come since then, that it would not be cool for you. Right, okay. This is where I think it gets a bit more complicated because if you had Sandman today, mm. even with the music and everything, like the original Metallica music, I don't think it would be cool. So if you were a new wrestler coming out and you had the Sandman gimmick yeah. and it had never been done, it couldn't I, work in this day and age. I don't think it could really work in this day and age. No, it's so hard because you can't you can't take that without the fact that this has already happened out mm. of the equation. Yeah, but it's yeah. because it's already happened. It's created this genre of white guys drinking beer, smoking cigarettes and saying fuck all the time and thinking that's their personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. means that that's made it uncool for anyone to do it now. Right, yeah, because the precedent has been set. And if yeah. you're someone who's going to smoke a cigarette straight away... It's like, oh, you're one of those guys. And no one wants to be known as someone who's ripping off the Sandman, I guess. It's probably not a great start <laughs> to your professional wrestling career. Yeah, but having been a teenager in like the 90s and 2000s mm. well not really 90s i'm making myself out older than i am now yeah, yeah. but like i i used to listen to metallica mm. i used to be a young person and you would have hung around like kids who did the same yeah. who if i seriously think i was thought about the sandman and maybe you could be a judge because you you hung out with people but you didn't 
your gang didn't watch wrestling necessarily no, when no, you no. were growing up. But I have a funny feeling that if someone went to was like, hey kids, and they showed you the Sandman, a lot of, maybe particularly the boys, would have been like, what? It's really interesting because like, there was this one guy I knew through school and all the way through university, we were great friends. And I've only realized now in retrospect created his whole personality on the Sandman. And I didn't even know, I don't even know if he watched wrestling or what, but yeah, like, yeah. he literally had like bleach blonde hair, he drank loads of beer and would like crush his can, like smash it places. <laughs> he would always be like hitting things and smoking cigarettes and screaming fuck all the time and like getting really irrationally angry. And he fucking loved Metallica. So I don't know if that was like an intentional reference. I think you basically just described every boy between the age of 12 and 19 from the yeah. 90s to the early 2000s. But that's the thing. I don't know if that was a, a reference to the Sandman or if the Sandman's had such a cultural impact on like teenage boys mm. in that time that like it just ebbed outside of wrestling. I think it was a case of striking a chord with existing culture almost mm. in that that the Sandman is is we're talking ECW folks we're talking the original run of ECW from the 90s and that's come up a few times in our podcast so far we talked about Stone Cold Steve Austin doing his cutting edge stuff it happened at ECW Paul Heyman who's known as this great innovator who had his finger on the pulse his baby was ECW and I'm pretty sure that like a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that ECW was a brand that just knew what the young people or the young folks or that young male demographic mm. particularly that was so coveted, they knew what they liked. That's why Tommy Dreamer came out to Alice in Chains, Raven came out to The Offspring, you know? Oh wow, Vince McMahon could have learned so much. Yeah, and you and I, some night <laughs> can sit down and listen to nothing but ECW entrance music and have a proper nostalgic fucking 90s disco, like, it's pure gold, like. Wow. So, we're going to take a little bit of a trip back in time and talk about how this man came to be because Sandman is someone who I thought when I was a kid and most people probably still think to this day is like literally Paul Heyman looked out in the audience and go, look, amongst all the people who are drinking beer and smoking cigarettes, that man in particular, let's make him a wrestler. He's like, but he can't wrestle. It's okay. Give him a Singapore cane. Now, if I told you that was the Sandman story, you probably would have believed me. Yeah. Sandman is a lifelong wrestling fan. He grew up in the New York, Pennsylvania area watching Vince Sr.'s show, WWWF. So Sandman would have been a fan of Vince's dad's old territory and would have grown up watching the likes of Bruno, Andre the Giant, and superstar Billy Graham. And Sandman, when he was a little kid, used to always try and sneak into wrestling shows because he couldn't afford to go. And I found <laughs> this is adorable. You've heard the Sandman's nickname that he's been called quite a few times. He was called it in WCW as his actual name. He was known as Hack. It's his actual name? It's his actual nickname that people call, oh, him, call him Hack. Now, I always thought his nickname Hack was because he was a hack. He couldn't fucking wrestle. Like, <laughs> you know? Look at this fucking hack here like, coming out. But what he used to do, this is one of the sweetest Sandman stories ever. Young little Sandman, around nine or ten years old, sneaking into the arenas where WWWF were putting on shows and sneaking underneath the ring to try and see if there was a spring in there because me and my friends were convinced there was a fucking spring in there. So a spring? A spring in the ring to go because you know when you land on the canvas the way it kind of springs back up. Now, kayfabe exposing times there is a spring in the ring yeah because you have to have springs underneath any kind of like athletic mats because it stops shin splints yes but also like there was there's kind of the springs in those mats are to add to the noise and just to give a little bounce back for the wrestlers when they're they're on the mat some yeah. rings are springier than others but <laughs> the story i heard was sandman going in to find a spring underneath the ring 
the show starting and him having to stay under there for hours. And then at the end of it, Gorilla Monsoon pulling him out going, Hack, what are you up to in there? Ah! A little hack going, ah, was just, yeah, get out of here, Hack. You and the rest of the Bash Street kids are banned from wrestling. <laughs> So I think that's the that's sweetest so thing. Oh, and then they immediately hired him. Yes. And then here's your gimmick, smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. <laughs> if only, like. <laughs> so he went, he, he wanted to be a wrestler. He'd go to the shows all through when he was a young adult and a teenager. Him and his friends would go. But he reckoned that he couldn't be a wrestler because during the 80s, the likes of Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and the Warrior, he had big steroid dudes, which Sandman, never at any point in his career was he a big muscle man. But then he found flyer for a local indie show and he went down and in his own words said, there was guys who were kind of like my shape down there. So he learned to wrestle and started doing some indies in Pennsylvania. He went down to Memphis for a little bit. And then he went and he found himself a nice little spot in a very, very young and up and coming company. Before it was extreme championship wrestling, it was tri-state championship wrestling wow what a shit name and then eastern championship wrestling and the e stands for eastern it doesn't get much more eastern than this guys <laughs> he's one of the most eastern superstars i've ever seen in this business <laughs> now his gimmick when he was in eastern championship wrestling before it became extreme and everyone had cool gimmicks i couldn't believe i had forgotten about this until someone tweeted it in and it's the reason why he's called the Sandman, Joe. Why was he called the Sandman? It's great. It's because he had a surfing gimmick. Oh, my God. But, like, the weird thing about his surfing gimmick is his outfit, mm. which is not what any surfer would have ever worn, I don't think. I mean, Sandman's normal outfit, which he wore for his career, was usually what I wear just for around the house, like yeah. Zubas and a T-shirt or comfy <laughs> cargo pants and a T-shirt. Like, you know, <laughs> I get the style, but the old look, ooh. Yeah, it doesn't look particularly comfortable. It's like this, like, very skin-tight... Oh, I forget what wet they're called. Like a, almost like a wetsuit, yeah. but it looks... I don't know, it's strange because it's got a zip. It looks like it's the most uncomfortable fucking thing to wrestle in because it, like, it, it cinches up around the armpits and the nether regions. It's very ill-fitting, yeah. Came out, instead of a Singapore cane, he came out with a big old surfboard. Yeah. And instead of coming out to enter Salmon by Metallica, he comes out to... The frickin' Beach Boys. <laughs> Surfing USA. Which means Sandman officially has had the two best entrance music themes... In wrestling of all time, in my personal opinion. Ba 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 run. Da ba 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 run. <laughs> I had way too much fun thinking of comparisons of the Sandman and Brian Wilson <laughs> following this. Way too much fun. <laughs> when you saw that artwork, did you think that we'd be talking about Brian Wilson again on this podcast? I'm just saying the whole his match on acid you could compare to Brian Wilson's <laughs> early, you know, experimental music days. I'm his... pretty sure Simon spent two years in bed at some point in his <laughs> life cake. as well. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that old gimmick, it was it was horrible. Even though like it got over with the crowd to an extent because he was made their, their champion a few times. And this is before ECW was like cutting edge or cool. It was just one of many indie promotions around the area. And Philadelphia and Pennsylvania actually was historically known as being like a shit territory because no one ran there anymore because they reckoned that they couldn't get good enough ticket prices. So like the, the indies there were pretty grim. And Sandman there dressed up as a surfer in 1993 is as grim as it fucking gets. 
And then Paul Heyman was brought into ECW and given kind of creative control and was made as the executive producer. And they knew that Sandman was one of their top guys. Sandman wasn't like enjoying his gimmick. And Heyman and the owner at the time, Todd Gordon, would look backstage and here's this fucking dude wearing Zubas, a t-shirt, he's got a cigarette in his mouth, surrounded by cans of beer and he's just fucking, you know, living the high life, holding court or whatever. Total blue collar guy. Sandman in real life, by the way, has been in prison multiple times for like drunken disorderlies. At one point, he actually spent a week in the hole because he punched out a prison guard. Holy shit! (laughs) Sandman is like legit proper blue collar badass. He is like, not to take anything away from Steve Austin, not saying he's not tough, but the character that Steve Austin is trying to embody, Sandman- He wishes he could punch a prison guard. And go in that fucking hole, like, you know. So that's that Simon did that legitimately. I remember once Joey Styles said that on commentary in WWE and Vince was like, never say that again. We don't want people to think that we've got thugs on our roster. Because I know at one point he makes a reference to wearing an orange jumpsuit again or like bringing yeah. out the old orange jumpsuit. I thought he was joking. No, no, Simon's been in the clink like. Wow. And if you don't think that my fan fiction about Simon being in Oz isn't the greatest thing ever, then you all are sorely mistaken. It's going to hit your, your internet soon and it's going to take over <laughs> AOL. Wow, what a recent cultural reference there. I'm all over 1995, Joe. All over it, like white on rice. But yeah, Salmon was this kind of legitimate person in real life who had this kind of background and he loved to drink. He worked construction sites and once five o'clock hit, Salmon was down in the bar and like there's legendary stories of him like drinking places dry and whatnot. So Heyman and Todd Gordon were like, why can't that be his fucking gimmick? There, right there. The guy, like, why should he get changed into an ill-fitting swimsuit? Let... That's the gimmick. Mm. And so Sandman started being the fucking guy who comes out drinking beers and smoking cigarettes. Accompanied to a ring by his real-life wife at the time, Laurie Fullington, who went by the name of Peaches. And they decide they're going to turn the Sandman heel. And this just exemplifies so much about ECW and probably current wrestling as well. Sandman had a gimmick with this wrestler called Tommy Cairo. But Tommy Cairo, it was revealed in storyline, had actually been cheating with his wife. Sandman's wife had been sleeping around behind his back. Like, what? Hang on, this is in kayfabe. In kayfabe. So the, the whole thing with Tommy Cairo is that, you know, he was, he'd was been sleeping with the Sandman's wife. It was meant to be like, yeah, go Tommy Cairo, get yourself some, yeah. And Sandman, the idea to turn him heel was that he was incensed that Tommy Cairo had been sleeping with his wife because that meant that he owed him money. If he was going to see, he said he didn't mind him sleeping with his wife as long as he paid his bills. And he would come out and he'd say, Tommy Cairo, you got to pay your bills. And it's like, oh, this horrible man prostituting his wife. And of course, what happens? ECW, fans start chanting at unison, pay your bills, pay your bills. Oh, God. And Salmon becomes one of the biggest faces at ECW because he's prostituting out his wife. Fucking hell. <laughs> Because you know, you see it now when you watch wrestling, everyone cheers the baddie and boos the good guy. Well, more often than not. More I often than not, sometimes. yeah. But that shit was happening all the time back at ECW. Fans just loved this asshole character who was, you know, living this blue collar dream, I guess you could call it. But he decided to turn heel around that time. He got paired up with a mysterious manager by the name of Woman. So when he turned heel, did he like start respecting his wife and all the fans were like, Boo! <laughs> Boo! Disrespect women! Disrespect women! Oh. <laughs> 
So no, what happened was he got um, paired up with this lady called Woman, who was this very mysterious lady. I think we you've seen her in a few of the matches. She yeah. had like, the long gloves and like the the very straight hair. And unlike all the other women in ECW, Woman was always like presented as being this very sophisticated, classy lady with like her kind of ball gowns and whatnot. Why is she called Woman? It's just the name of her character. What? She was this really like domineering type. You could tell that it was like some idea that Heyman probably had like a fetish thing where it's oh. really like, you know, she would she would like demand that wrestlers like kiss her feet and like, you know, bow down before. She was this very intense woman who had this very protracted way of speaking. Not to bring everything down to pay, but she is probably more known woman as being uh, Nancy Benoit, who is the wife of Chris Benoit. <gasps> Yeah, she's the woman who uh, would have been killed by Chris Benoit. Oh my god. Now, just in case anyone thinks that, oh, Kevin's a groon in an episode, obviously not anything you know about. I know about the whole Chris Benoit thing. I didn't know that was woman. Yeah, that's woman. Oh my god. It's a real shame because it's one of those things, I think woman's a really interesting character from wrestling's past who, she's in WCW for a bit, but mainly known for her time in ECW managing, uh, particularly the Sandman. And... You don't hear a lot about her as a result because it's kind of like we don't like to talk about the people in yeah. wrestling history who've been murdered, you know. And it's 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 sad because I think she's a really interesting character and definitely stands out in ECW. And that was the thing. Sandman was started up being this rowdy guy and how they got people to boo Sandman was that Sandman would come out now instead of being all rowdy, he'd come out and she'd like light his cigarette and he'd smoke it. And it was like he was hers she controlled the sandman like she would hold his singapore cane and whatnot i tried to find any quotes from sandman about paul Heyman, and he says about paul Heyman, he's a lying son of a bitch you can't trust a word he said but he's paulie if you gave him a hundred million dollars he'd bury everyone <laughs> oh and he also said you could put paul Heyman on the fucking travel channel with a hundred million and he'd get vince's ratings so there you go. That's wow. A, people seem to hate and love him at the same time in equal measure. Paul Heyman. Yeah. Yeah, same with Vince, I guess. So, Sandman, a big part of him was having that Singapore cane. Now, you have expressed your displeasure for the stick before in the past. Mm. What's your problem with the kendo stick, a.k.a. the Singapore cane? It's just a very personal problem because I don't think it looks like it hurts. And oh I, my God. I've heard so many times that it's like the mo- one of the most painful weapons you can use. Yeah, I've been hit by one and yeah. it fucking sucks. Do you know what it actually is? I know it's lots of little bits of wood all like kind of tied together. Yeah, bound together. That's mm. why it makes that kind of noise mm. because you're getting hit by like 10 little tiny sticks at once. Yeah. Oh. Mm. But you don't like it. No, I just don't think it looks... I think it can be used quite effectively. I think Sandman actually is a case for the kendo stick. I think he uses it quite well. He fucking swings that thing. But yeah, he really swings it, and I imagine he's probably quite... I don't know, it's quite sore, probably, to fight the Sandman. It's really funny about the Sandman, because uh, the wrestlers at the back, apparently... Salmon was a big, big drinker and would drink heavily before his matches and then just kind of became incorporated into his character, obviously. But wrestlers wanted him to drink because apparently when Salmon was sober, he struggled to hit you square with the cane. He'd clip oh, you on no. the ear, hit you in the eye, hit you on the throat. But if he was drunk, he'd get you right in the temple. Like, his aim was way better when That's he was drunk. so interesting. A high-functioning alcoholic, yeah, I think, was the best seriously. way to describe him at the time. But there is a story behind the Singapore cane. Salmon is notable for being the first wrestler to use the Singapore cane in the United States. Like, he he brought that weapon 
into the into the mainstream basically now it had been used in the past like over in japan and whatnot there was a guy called like tojo yamamoto i found out he used to come out with singapore king because he had like an akito gimmick but the reason why sandman had i mean do you ever think it was weird that this beer drinker and cigarette smoker also had a fucking akito weapon like this Mm. piece of wooden mastery i mean not really given that wwe randomly has singapore canes all the time for no reason it's cause of sandman yeah and and Heyman. so what happened and the reason this became a thing and this is and again, if you've not checked out our Heyman episode, I would say go and listen to it because this a lot of this illustrates Heyman quite beautifully. In 1994, 1995, there was a big, big scandal. Over in Singapore, an American teenager had been caught stealing or shoplifting or something like that. And in Thailand, one of the punishments for things like petty crimes of theft are lashings with a cane in public. And it became a massive international scandal that this American teenager, how dare they get subjected to this brutal corporal punishment in public. You remember the episode of The Simpsons where Bart has to get booted because he insulted Australia? Mm. It, based off of that story, it was all over the news. This wow. teenager was going to get caned. And like they sent over diplomats and they managed to, like with all the negotiations, get it down from like 10 strikes to 8 in public or whatever it was. And Heyman thought, this is brilliant. He's going to do a gimmick with Tommy Dreamer, who was this wrestler coming onto his show, this rookie, where Sandman was going to give him 10 canings if he lost the match. And that was the, the gimmick. Sandman beat Tommy Dreamer, and the Tommy Dreamer, the rookie, got 10 cane shots across the back. And, like, he fucking lashed him with it. Tommy's back was bleeding, like. Oh. And, he, and Sandman would, like, be there with the Singapore cane, and a woman would be like, you know, admit that you're a broken man, Tommy Dreamer, and worship us at our feet. And he'd be like, thank you, sir, may I have another? And he'd give him more lashes with the cane so that's why it's the singapore cane is because Heyman originally brought it in as the idea like hey this is in the news jesus and that's why we've got singapore canes in in western wrestling i've tried to see if there's any other reason for it but that's the main one it would see as why it became what popular a shit reason for the thing wow well because a little boy was beaten well, it was a teenager i'm not sure how little he was oh, okay. but even still an american citizen was beaten with a cane like sandman has as we've talked about one of the best entrances in, in wrestling history. And I showed Joe one or two of Sandman's most infamous and important entrances ever. The very, very, very first one I showed you was from ECW's One Night Stand in 2005. What was it like seeing that? Because that was the first thing I showed you of the Sandman. I mean, what impression did it give you of him coming out to the music in that crowded Hammerstein ballroom? It was pretty amazing because you can see and hear immediately how wild the crowd goes. Yeah. They are totally into the Sandman. <laughs> I mean, the crowd can't seem to get it. I mean, it must be really hard for him to get through the crowd because they're all like, yeah. jumping over him there's a lot of really impressive qualities to his entrance it isn't like it isn't just the cool music the beer and the smoking and mm. the cane and everything like they are obviously the main parts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of like really clever bits like so the Sandman is actually surprisingly nimble like when you see <laughs> yeah. the things he walks on are very narrow like tight spaces he's drunk there very are drunk noisy drunk fans all around him in fact the first one you show me the first entrance yeah, literally yeah. starts with Sandman coming out, getting a beer, opening a beer, pouring it into his mouth, and a fan grabbing his kendo stick off him and smashing himself in the head like five times with it. This guy is on, I don't know, he's he's on something. <laughs> and then Sandman has to kind of like pull the kendo stick away from him and like, 
weirdo. I like the timing as well about how you'll open like a do the the big open. Yeah. I like it's actually you know what it, to open the beer with the one hand and make it do the big spectacular spoosh, like just in a, time. Yeah, a little bit of swivel the beer around beforehand so it sprays nicely but doesn't just explode. It takes skill. <laughs> he actually got the idea of using Enter Sandman as music because he was like delivering newspapers as a side business at the time. And there was a kid who was working with, he was like 16, listening to Enter Sandman. And he was like, holy shit, that's fucking my name. I'm the Sandman. (laughs) I I enter. (laughs) That's me. Oh, that's really cool. He has claims that he's never been hungover in his life. I doubt that. I think the only reason he's You've never been... you said that to me and I doubt that. Well, no, that is true. Well, <laughs> it was true until about the time I met you. <laughs> that makes me sound like a fucking lush or something. No, it's not because of you. It's because I got old oh, okay. around that time. But no, that's true. I never had a hungover until I was like 25. So has the Sandman like, just been kept at 25, you think? No, I think the reason the Sandman, if that's true, if he's never had a hangover genuinely, the only reason I think is because he's never gotten sober after he's been drunk. Oh, so it's like, you know, in Father Ted, where they're like, what's happened to Father Jack? It's like, the last drop of alcohol is going, <laughs> what am I doing here? Ah, oh, don't tell me I'm still in that fucking shitbox in Philadelphia. Ah, oh, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> I also found out from Sandman if he actually got a buzz from doing his entrance. And he said, if you drink a six pack in five minutes you're gonna get a bit of a buzz yeah that's why you had the cargo pants you could put six beers in there holy shit he managed to hide them away i know right sequestered away like you take them out during the matches sometimes now i might as well ask you the obvious question here did it shock you to find out that sandman would wrestle a lot if not most of his matches inebriated um at this point i'm not massively surprised because we've covered episodes previously of wrestlers who have either wrestled a lot drunk like maybe not as as drunk as consistently as Sandman mm. or they've been high mm. there is a lot of, of wrestlers who I think believe they do their best work not whilst sober historically yeah, yeah. so now obviously so I don't find like massively surprising not do like you think the- it's unsafe <laughs> yes but then <laughs> You hear about things like the Sandman having better aim when he's drunk, which is weird. And I mean, if other wrestlers who are fighting with him would prefer him to be drunk, I mean, Mm. what do I know? When you look up about ECW, you'll see there's always little factions within it. There's like the hardcore, hardcore guys, people like Tommy Dreamer, Sandman, Sabu, one of the guys who are kind of more serious wrestlers who kind of wore traditional boots and tights and shied away from the hardcore stuff a little bit, like didn't define them as much like Taz and Shane Douglas. And, like, I read some shit from them, and they were like, you know, Shane Douglas particularly was like, he, he thought Sandman was an absolute disgrace, and that, like, he fe- felt that he had been, you know, given a gimmick that just ex- allowed him to be drunk and to live out his worst vices. And it's like, why does it, you know, he could do it with one beer, why does it have to be six beers and half a litre of vodka and, you know, pills and dope? Yeah. And why has it got to be all this stuff? I, I get that. Like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. Heyman in his locker room in ECW had this thrill, which was, I don't want to get involved. If it's between the boys, it's between the boys. If you've got a problem with him, you two sort it out. I'm not getting involved. Which... That's pretty shitty about management there. Yeah, I mean, that's how you curtail a drug culture in there. And that's what ECW definitely had. Now, another thing I want to ask you, seeing as we've done an episode on the man already, Stone Cold Steve Austin likes to drink a little beer. Blue collar worker. Doesn't come out to enter Sandman or smoke cigarettes or have a Singapore cane. 
But I remember all my brother's friends, and everyone at the time was like, kind of, if you like Steve Austin, he's just a phony ripoff PG Sandman. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Steve Austin has ripped off the Sandman's gimmick? Because when Steve Austin was in ECW, he only had three matches, all of which involved the Sandman. So I don't know. Do you think he ripped him off? I think elements, yes. Mm. But then you can't have, like, you can't just say, oh, no one's allowed to drink beer because that's this guy's gimmick. Yeah. Like, it's a bit of a, a wide genre then. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Also, I think Stone Cold is a much more talented wrestler and performer than Sandman. Like, I really yeah. like the Sandman. I think he's great. Like, yeah. He is very effective at the role he was given. But, like, I don't think the Sandman could have done what Stone Cold did. No, is. no. Like, he could not have had that battle against Vince McMahon and no. represent the working man's struggle <laughs> yeah, against yeah. upper management. Like, he couldn't tell that story the way Stone mm. Cold could. I think as well, you look at Austin, he had that one gimmick, that little, one little feather to his bow, which was, you know, yeah, he had the beer. But Austin was also, you know, plain black boots, plain mm. black tights. No gimmicks at all. Austin Sandman was... had, like, five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Austin is like authentically cool. Mm. Whereas Sandman, I think, is kind of cool because of what he does. Yeah, because I think we watched some of the stuff, well, we'll talk about it later, where once you take away some of those gimmicks, it becomes less fun. Yeah, but like even with Sandman's surfing gimmick, it's not really cool. Whereas if you look at like Steve Austin's prior technically uncool gimmicks, they're still pretty cool though. Yeah, and even his hypothetical gimmicks. Chili Chili McFreeze is legitimately cool. Fang McFrost. Figuratively and literally. (laughs) (laughs) But I find a quote from uh, Sandman if he thought Austin nicked his gimmick. He's like, yeah, pretty much he stole my character, but I ain't got no heat. He was smart. He knew how to be that anti-hero. I don't give a shit. I did fine without him. Great. Cool. I mean, a lot of bitter people in wrestling and I think if, you could be better about that. Yeah, I mean, especially how fucking huge Stone Cold was. I think mm. it'd be very easy to be like, that could have been me. But like for him to be able to recognise that couldn't have been yeah. is pretty big of him. And also as well, it will get in, you know, throughout this series, the more we come up against stuff from the late 90s, you'll see how stuff it was wholesale ripped off from ECW. Yeah, so much stuff. I'm Not just ECW, it seems like everything in wrestling has at some point been ripped off by someone else. Yeah, pretty much everything in ECW was ripped off by WWF and WCW, and everything from ECW was ripped off from Japan in the late 80s. Oh, so. pop culture. <laughs> yeah, so. Another point as well, we're going to get into our first match now in a second. Sandman didn't just have beer as a drink, right? You know, that that gimmick went through his entire wrestling repertoire, Joe. I'm going to read out some of the names of Sandman's finishers and maneuvers for you now. Um, you notice... Oh, this is great. Ooh. Oh, i got Seth and Randy. Yeah, it's great. I've got Seth Rollins and Randy Orton figures down here now, so when I'm podcasting with Joe and I'm describing moves, my I've got, I've got assistants with me. So, Randy, Seth, thanks for being here. The first move that Salmon used to do a lot is when he kind of does that like rolling senton bomb over like that. So he mm. keeps like jumping over. That's called the rolling rock. Right. Uh, after the beer, rolling rock. I, what beer? Oh, you never had rolling rock? No. Oh, rolling rock is a great bad beer. Never heard of it. Oh, wow. It comes in a green bottle. Well, you might know this next one. Off the top rope, Sandman does this uh, Hurricane Rana. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Heineken Rana. Oh, that's, that's quite funny. Yeah, and also as well, Sandman's finisher was when he got the Singapore cane. And did a Russian leg sweep with you. But of course, he's a Sandman, so it's the white Russian leg sweep. Hey, like it. Which is a legitimately delicious drink and a legitimately great manoeuvre. So that's fabulous. I'm still impressed he can do a Hurricane Rana. A Heineken Rana. Heineken Rana. (laughs) Heineken Rana is when you have to have a hand on the rope to steady yourself. Uh. (laughs) We decided to look into Sandman's past and try and dig out some matches. 
this was almost impossible to find four matches for Sandman. Really? Well, because, like, so many of the matches that people are like, oh, check out this match. It's like where Sandman is one of six people. Oh, and it's right. like the hot tag to Sandman and he clears house with the cane. And it's like, yeah, that's great and all, but the matches are less about Sandman and he's more of a part of the match as opposed to a Sandman match. And um, when I went into the, the, the archives trying to find some, there was a one that kept coming up over and over again that people wanted me to show you. That, funnily enough, Joe actually had on DVD. This is not on the network. This is from ECW in 1995. A Texas Deathmatch. Cactus Jack versus the Sandman. In Mick Foley's own words, he's had many great matches with the Sandman, Joe. And this is not one of them. This is one of the few matches I had actually seen before we started the podcast. Because I bought a Mick Foley DVD just when I first met Kevin to impress him and try and, and it works. brush up on my uh, wrestling knowledge. <laughs> I thought you put this in, like, what the fuck am I doing? It Dumb. was great. No, I enjoyed all of it. It's great. And Mick Foley like, has a bit of a commentary on all the matches and what he had to say on this match was really funny. He referred to it as being like a train wreck yeah. in that it was not comfortable to watch, yet you were somehow compelled to keep looking at it. Yeah. What is the main problem between Sandman and Cactus Jack in this match? Because the, the rules of a Texas death match, and I think this is a terrible idea for a match. In a normal match, you get pinned. One, two, three. In an early episode, we covered as well what a last man standing match is. Joe, what's a last man standing match? A last man standing match is when you have to get your opponent on the ground. He has to mm. stay there for 10 seconds. Yes, which is great fun if Joe and I are playing 2K. It is not great fun usually when you're watching a wrestling match with... The stipulation where you have to pin someone one, two, three, and then they have to be down for a count of ten. So you have to be down for a count of thirteen in total in this match. That's so needlessly confusing. <sighs> and that would be confusing to a normal mind. But to what happens to Sandman here? I mean, what what goes wrong with old Sandman in this match, Joe? He gets concussed really early on. Like, but like, oh, it's fucking oh, it's so sick. So Cactus Jack hits him, first of all, on the head with a chair about like three or four times. Like, solid chair shot to the head, no protective, no hands up, nothing. Yeah, but he's like straight in, straight away. Like, he interrupts his entrance and he's like, boom, like hits him with like a crutch, chairs, everything yeah. in the head. That didn't concuss no, him, though. No, that's not the concussion. <laughs> then, like about a minute later, Cactus Jack has a, like a frying pan. This is so fucking scary. He hits him on the head with the frying pan. You can immediately see Sandman is gone. And you can immediately see as well, if you're a pan, head like me that that was a proper heavy base bottom skillish like that yeah that's for fucking heavy duty cooking right there mm. not for bopping people with no and definitely not for bopping people with on the very front of their head which is like the most delicate fragile part of your head it's something which from watching love wrestling it's something i really realized very recently that one of the scariest things in wrestling was when someone takes a shot and they look more surprised Mm. Like, they're, the shock of them being hit so hard or that it's sore, they've been hurt, overrides, like, I gotta sell and be like, oh, it's that, like, yeah. whoa, shit. And <laughs> even the scarier thing is, because that's, like, that, that's horrible on its own, but then, like, a minute later, he hits him again with the frying pan. Yeah. And it's so bad. Sandman is so out of it, he doesn't even react. It's like yeah. he doesn't even know he's been hit. You hear this big gunk, and he's just, like, stood there, his back to him. Doesn't a, even like, react, Bleh. like, just not there. Now, do you know why it was that they were using such a heavy-ass pan? Like, what? I mean, if it was WWE, we take the pan out from under the ring, it would surely be, like, a silly safe pan, right? Yeah, I'd have thought they'd have used at least a gimmick. Because, like, Mick Foley looked like he was properly whacking him, and I'm sure yeah. he wouldn't have done that if he'd known it was a real pan. I mean, I can't think of how you would hit someone with a pan like that and not think that's what was going to happen. Well, like, if I was going to do it with a real pan... <laughs> 
God, God forbid. I like you'd at least throw your hands up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like try and make it sound. It's look not worthless. hardcore then, though, Joe. See, is this is that's this literally the thing is that if you're putting your hands up to protect yourself in in, in ECW, it's like oh, you're not hardcore. You're a pussy and all that. What? I hang know. on, hang on. What's the whole thing about wrestling isn't folk? But they won't even allow them to do realistic defensive yeah. maneuvers. I know it's ridiculous. That's I remember fucking shit. ECW. I forget what it was. It was like some guy who I think it was like Lance Storm. One of his first matches, and he threw a chair, and he did a safe light chair shot, and the crowd straight away was like, Bruh! "Wow!" <laughs> I hate it. But the reason why it was a non-gimmick pan is that ECW. For most of their arena shows and their main home base, the ECW Arena, it was bring your own weapons night. Right. So fans were encouraged to bring their own weapons. Oh, and, and that that's was why one the, of which. the crutch was there and stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, so people used the crutch at the start, the pan. Mick Foley said in his book that the weirdest item that someone ever brought for him to hit someone with was a Leonard Cohen vinyl. <laughs> wow, I'm surprised that's the weirdest thing. A two-man canoe was another one that he I uh, would took have out. totally brought in a big dildo. <laughs> How good would that be, though? I want to see a wrestling match where a guy's attacked by a big rubber dildo. This reminds me of, like, when a friend of mine, like, is, like, this friend of mine, he was totally spoiled rotten in school, and, like, I went to his house once, and his six-year-old brother was playing Grand Theft Auto, the one where he had a dildo as a weapon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was like, I was like, is no one, like, care that the fucking kid <laughs> is here playing with the fucking dildo going and killing strangers in the street? And, like, they went over, and was like, hang on just a second. Sorry, John, just, just, just going to cycle your weapons. There you go. You're all right now. Back to playing... Grand Theft Auto, fucking San Andreas. Continue murdering these prostitutes, Just, but with a mallet, not a dildo. Well, my child murders prostitutes with a machete, not a dildo <laughs> or a mallet like a common fucking savage. It's far from dildos you were raised. <laughs> so with the, the pan thing, mm-hmm. surely they would know that if it's bring your own weapons, you've got to be a bit careful about what you use and how you use it. I would give Mick Foley a bit more credit than to just think, oh, here's a really heavy skillet. I'm just going to thwack him in the front of the head with it. That's like, that's just totally not what ECW was. The idea of ECW and the way they built the cult around people like the Sandman and Sabu and you know Cactus Jack and Tommy Dreamer was that these were the fucking hardest, toughest motherfuckers. They were hardcore. That was a word that was not used unless you were describing someone who would put their fucking body at risk and would take legitimately hard shots. And like Mick Foley's do promos at the time, which was, I'm going to make sure that people respect wrestling and I'm going to use my body to do it. And that was the mentality. That's it's so like People thought wrestling, we were going to drag it out of the 80s in the cartoon. You know, over on WWF at the time, you had, you know, Bastion Booger and Doink the Clown. Over here in ECW, they're trying to drag credibility back into wrestling. And this is how they thought to do it. Real weapons, real fucking headshots, getting concussed. Notice the ringside area as well. We didn't talk about that. So normally at WWE, you got mats out here. What have we got at ECW? Oh, I don't, it doesn't look like there are any mats down, that's for sure. Unless you consider a light dusting of cigarette ends and fucking spilled beer and concrete and filth. Oh, Jesus. So all this stuff that's happening with these guys is out on the concrete. And I wonder, is there anything scarier, a scary position you could, you know, if you were quantum leaping, just say you and I happen to quantum leap, and we accidentally quantum leaped into the body of a wrestler who was opposing Sandman, who was on autopilot concussed mode, out on a fucking concrete floor. That is terrifying. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, you know what's really weird about the whole, you got to do it for real and you got to mm. use horrid weapons and stuff. So like, we did our episode not that long ago on Jimmy Havoc mm-hmm. and there were like death matches in there. A plenty. And there were quite a few moves in that, which... 
it was hard to tell if it was like genuinely really scary hardcore stuff and how much of it was gimmicked. Like I know mm. a lot of people said that some of the light bulbs can be gimmicked sometimes yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Do you think if they used a skillet pan in current deathmatch wrestling, would would things like this, this whole concussion and, mm. and blows to the front of the head, unprotected shots and stuff like that, do you think that's just as likely now or would they be a bit safer? I mean, it depends on who's doing it now. I mean, it's like I don't think Jimmy Havoc could be taking an unprotected pan shot on the top of his head because he's a much smarter worker than that, I would say. But who's to say that, you know, in some outdoor tournament of death, some trash bag wrestler wrestling in you know, his fucking bin bag pants isn't going to do something like that. There is still that mentality among a very small subset of wrestlers, particularly on the East Coast, on places like CZW. Eastern. Eastern. (laughs) The most Eastern competitors in the land. But there is still, like, CZW still has a lot of that holdover fan base and a lot of that mentality of, gotta hurt yourself. And you hurt yourself and you come through the other side. You're hardcore, man. And there's a bit of that with Jimmy, obviously. But... I think a really thing to point out here as well with ECW, unlike the likes of a lot of current day hardcore wrestlers, is that these guys are wrestling, you know, Foley isn't here obviously, but a lot of these guys are wrestling, you know, on pills, fucked up, pain pills, afterwards, coke, dope, whatever. Like yeah. pretty much a potpourri of, of drugs. So it's hard to actually gauge whether or not, oh, they like the pain or they like the spectacle. You know, you're not feeling most of it, to be honest. And a lot of them were dealing with really shitty injuries. Like Sam Man got really, he broke like 23 bones while he was in ECW. He wrestled hurt, but he didn't need to be not hurt to do what he did. And this is before all the research about concussions came out. Oh, yeah. That only was coming out, you know, in the last 10 years or so. So it's very difficult to watch this because this was always... You know, cast is like a comedy type of thing. Like, they actually, there's a shoot out there where Kayfabe commentary showed Sandman this match back and explains what comes up here, which is you've got Foley who's dealing with a very injured Sandman and he is pinned him one, two, three, and you're meant to stay down for the 10 count and Sandman is too concussed to remember. And they show Sandman the clip and tell him that he can't stop laughing because Foley's so, <laughs> he's so upset. He looks he's miserable. Hell. He's going to the referee like, he won't stay down. The match is meant to be over by now. <laughs> and Sandman's like, ah! <laughs> he thinks it's so funny. like, And oh. he's just, he's on autopilot. Yeah, you can see that. You know, every time Cactus Jack pins him down, and you see Sandman starting to sit up, like, compulsively. He can't stop. And then every time, Tax Jack's just, like, throwing him back down again. Like, no, slow down. Literally, I was like, stay down, please, It's like stay down. training a dog to sit. That's concussed. That's the dog con- has hit a the concussion. dog with a pan, and now the dog don't know shit. It's really bad to the point where Sandman doesn't even remember that it's a Texas death match starts kicking out at two. Yes. So like, we're not even on the 10 count. No. Like, no. <laughs> and that made me forget that this was a de- Texas death match. And I was like, oh, well, it's perfectly fine that he's kicking out at two, right? Oh, no, it's not. Oh, God. It's like funny in the end because, like, Cactus Jack legitimately exhausts himself. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, he does a big elbow, does the big DDT. Two, like, big elbows. One with a fucking chair. And then he lobs it at Sandman's head and he doesn't even recognise that there's now a chair around his neck. He gets three more DDTs on the concrete. The commentator, Joey Styles, at this point is literally laughing. Like, he can barely keep it. He's like, the, the Sandman is really um, very hardcore. <laughs> what a hardcore individual. Cactus Jack eventually keeps him down for the 10 counts. The referee is like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. oh. And even then, you see Sandman starting to sit up before the 10 count. And then the ref is obviously like, fuck it. 
I'm done. You know, it'd be bad, like, backstage, you'd probably start fighting them again. Like, it's just, oh, my God. But no one bad an eyelid. That's, like, that shit happened. Like, I don't say it happened all the time, but it, it happened. Jesus. Quite a bit. So scary. That being said, though, this match, I actually really enjoyed this match. Really? It's hard to watch. But Gene, Salmon does a, a pile driver to Foley that actually fucks up his neck quite bad. Oh, God, I forgot about that. That's so hard. He kind of walks that's the other back. Thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Foley is, like, in so much pain throughout, like, most of this match. Because he, he gets, he lands on his on his neck on a chair. Yeah, the back of his head falls on a chair. Which yeah. is, like, painful enough, but then immediately followed by that wonky pile driver. Oh, such a wonky pile driver. Oh, imagine how sore he'd be the next day. Pile driver, legitimately dangerous move, mm. can be fucked up so badly, and I couldn't think of the, like, a walking pile driver. No one can do that, because you're, like, you're going to move their body all out of place. Yeah. And, like, the Sandman concussed, giving you... Drunk. A, on a chair. On a chair. Like, oh, my, oh my God, God in heaven. But, yeah, one of the cool things about this match, though, is, like, if I was a wrestler... I would be studying this match so hard because it's a great lesson in terms of like how to sell concussions. Yeah, because Sandman, like he's actually quite good at selling. I think it's one of his strong suits generally. Yeah, like when he punches, he he shakes his hand like he's like genuinely hurt his fist. Because Sandman, having been in actual bar brawls, I mean, if you've ever punched someone, you ever punched someone in the face? No, I've never punched anyone. If you ever punched someone in the in the face, it is actually quite sore on the hand, like, and you would like straight away be shaking it and. I always thought that as cool as it was, it actually worked against him because it's like, oh, he can't even punch people. Austin can do 10 punches in a row. But yeah, his selling is usually quite good. But here particularly, he does things like he whips Cactus Jack into the ropes. Yeah, and he just collapses. Like He doesn't even finish the Irish whip. He just falls down. Or like when he... Like he when Cactus Jack punches him and like his legs go from underneath him, like mm. he just kind of collapses down... I mean, not to say, hey, there's loads of great things that came out of the fact that this man got concussed. No, but, but like, some good could at least come from it in that, like, because I think a lot of wrestlers do struggle with authentic selling because, like, there's so many different side effects that you can have, like, the headache. Mm. You can see Sandman, he's, like, squinting. He's obviously in a lot of head pain. Yeah. He's dizzy, clearly. Tend to find issue a lot of wrestlers selling on yeah. the, the main roster when we watch oftentimes yeah. where they just kind of look like they're taking a little bit of a sleep or just kind of go... Yeah, like, they've never seen someone with an actual concussion before. Like, I, I, I would, think, yeah. Yeah, I would definitely study this match and just be like, okay, so that's kind of what a person would do if they were really fucking badly hurt. Yeah, it's fucking. It's impressive that he managed to wrestle this whole match. Yeah, you really appreciate, I think, how much wrestling is like almost instinctual mm. because you can see like so much of the moves he does is just like comes from inside him. It's like being just channeled. Yeah, and I think it's kind of there's a sweetness too as well that he's so fucked up. And his instinct is like, the match can't be over because we've got to do more. Mm. Like, he's obviously thinking that's why he's kicking out because the match can't be over. There's got to be more put on a show for the people. I always compare that to like Sin Cara when he, he literally, he dislocated his baby finger once on, on Raw on TV and he literally was like, I'm not wrestling, stop the match. Ding, 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 ring the bell. And like, everyone was so like, really? Like, I'm not saying, hey, work hard, but it was just like, compare the two ends of the spectrum yeah. there of a guy who... Your body is literally saying, shut down, go to sleep, and he's still fucking going. Incredible. You're rating for this match, then? I think I'm going to get some flack for this. I think now I will probably say every rating that you give from now to the end of time is always going to be like, really? The Shane Vince match is blah, 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 one star, but this is... 
So hey, I gave that. I think I gave that two stars in the end for Shane's okay. coast to coast. I don't know, you would give it no stars, and I fucking oh, no. bargained then you, you up bargained to one. Me up to one. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> that what's that's with the haggling skill as well, folks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I can't believe you gave Shane McMahon versus Vince one star, mm. but you gave Cactus Jack versus Sandman Texas Death Match four stars. Oh my god! <laughs> because. Because it's a genuinely really interesting match. Yeah. Like, like okay, yeah, the the whole selling thing. I think it's worth watching for that alone. Like, just watch this weird guy get concussed and see how he still manages to somehow wrestle a match very badly. But he does manage it. Yeah, and, and to the point as well, Sandman is a peak human bender here with yeah. his grey t-shirt and his grey slacks. <laughs> like, he looks so like human bender. It is genuinely quite funny watching Sandman constantly try and kick out at two in a Texas death match when poor Mick Foley is like very, very sore and broken and tired. And I guess it's nice that you know you can look back at this and like Foley finds it funny, Sandman finds it fucking hilarious. Yeah. And everyone came out the other side. Like I yeah. don't know if I could watch like if I was watching this live, I would probably I couldn't watch it. I would oh, no. heart my mouth like No, I couldn't watch it live, it would make me feel sick. But... So with the benefit of thirteen years hindsight Exactly, and knowing that everyone involved is is fine and on good terms <laughs> it's entertaining and it's like it's a good length as well yeah you know what for a match where the guy in Singsfield keeps trying to make the match go on longer and longer and longer it actually doesn't outstay its welcome that no much. it doesn't which is really surprising so yeah I give it I actually do I give it four four stars out of five which I mean sure I'm sure you could listen back at previous episodes and probably find like Owen Hart matches yeah Mr. Perfect matches with that score and <laughs> Well, there you go. Much like when I'm scrolling Just Eat and it's six star system, I'm probably just going to go, you know what? People have got different tastes and yeah. stars mean different things to different people. And that's fine, you know? Whatever. My opinion is the right one. And uh, <laughs> Sandman is one of the greatest stressors. <laughs> so I want to talk about one of Sandman's most important feuds in all of ECW. Uh, Sandman's feud with Raven. Raven is someone who we will be doing an episode that's been requested and I have literally had to hold myself back. If, if I had my way, I probably would have done a Raven episode too. Would have been like Raven. And you know, he's not a big enough star, I guess, in the grand scheme of things to, to justify it. But I was really excited for you to get to see a little bit of Raven here, a little bit of a taster. So... Raven and Sandman had a very, very emotional feud because there's lots of ways you can get to people in wrestling. Traditionally, it would see you get through your arrival through, like, you know, his loved ones. Uh, Sandman, of course, you couldn't do that because Sandman's wife, he had already uh, distanced himself from in kayfabe and all he wanted from that was money and for people to pay bills. So Raven was smarter than that, Joe. Raven was going to kidnap Sandman's son and brainwash him to be one of his flock, one of his minions. Wow. Now, what's great about this is finding out how this whole story came to be. Paul Heyman came into the locker room, apparently, with Raven and Sandman, who were feuding. He's like, I've got one of the top names in Hollywood who is going to be the Sandman's son for this angle. Oh, my God. I fucking bet it's Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> it shit. was! Literally, it was. Are you serious? Yes, Heyman claimed this. I knew it'd either be that or, or Hayley Joel Osment. Because like, <laughs> that would be so upsetting. <laughs> now this is a Texas death match! <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, unfortunately, it was not Macaulay Culkin as... Uh, Heyman claimed he had had Macaulay Culkin in talks. So like, do you think that's bullshit then? Of course it is! Why would he lie? 
that's literally Heyman's house sigil. House Heyman. Why would he lie? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Heyman, I don't know, to impress his cool friends. Like, I don't know. So Salmon was literally like, yo, my boy Tyler, he's eight. He looks just like me. So why don't we use him? And lo and behold... Tyler Fullington, Sandman's legitimate eight-year-old child, was involved in this angle where wow. you would have cut to backstage and it's like Tyler is now dressed up like Raven with a leather jacket and like the, the, the Alice in Chains t-shirt. He's like, I only know Raven now. He's my real father. And Raven's like, you hear that? He worships me. <laughs> or there was literally one time where it just cut backstage and Tyler was sitting in Raven's lap dressed up him and Raven just went hey sad man and just kind of put his arm around his boy went, <laughs> that's so weird there's nothing stranger or creepier than someone taking someone's boy <laughs> you know I mean I, I would argue any child is pretty creepy just taking, taking someone's kid is just fucking way out there yeah and then the whole thing like Salmon was broke by it as well like it's so cool to see like Salmon's range of emotion where they would literally have him on his hands and knees Tears streaming down his face. He was going, Tyler! Ah! Like, was he good? He was great. Really? Fucking incredible. Like, I mean, you know, Sandman's been divorced since and, you know, he's had some rocky relationships. So probably a lot of easy stuff to draw on there. Like, Sandman could fucking pull it out when he wanted to. That's amazing. And I showed Joe the clip of when Sandman and Tyler finally reunited after a match Tyler comes out and he's dressed up like Sandman with the little baby Zubas on and they embrace and like Sandman's got tears in his eyes and they're hugging and then just Raven comes out and kills Sandman with a it's Raven! Bam! Kills him with a Singapore cane. Now, there is something involving Raven and the Sandman and an angle that some would say is the most tasteless angle in the history of wrestling. An angle that was so bad it caused Raven to have to apologise on national TV for it and also, someone tweeted in and said that you're going to be upset by this. Because in 1996, before he went to WWE, and before he had anything to do with professional wrestling, all he had was a pocket full of dreams and a gold medal in wrestling, Kurt Angle walked into ECW. And we saw like a little clip, actually, a mm. little screenshot on one of the ECW shows when we were scrolling through on the vault. Yeah, young Kurt Angle. Young Kurt Angle. Now... From the limited things you know about ECW, were you shocked to see Kurt Angle pop up at ECW at all? Um, oh, It's been a while now since we've recorded the Kurt Angle episode. Yeah. I can't remember if we mentioned him ever. I can't remember if he wrestled there or what. No, he didn't. He just came in for one appearance. And right. And that's, that's the appearance that we kind of briefly saw yeah, him walking around him there. waving just and him saying waving. hi. Heyman had this big deal lined up. He was convinced he was going to get Kurt Angle to sign with them. The night that Kurt Angle came in, Raven and Sandman decided to shoot their big angle. And Raven and Sandman decided... Now, depending on who you ask, Raven claims it's his idea. Sandman, because he's a carpenter and he built the thing, claims that it's his idea. Raven crucified the Sandman. I like that both of them are arguing as to... No, it's my idea. Yeah, no, it's no, my idea. I offended everyone. No, I did. <laughs> I'm the rottenest thing in all of ECW. No, I... <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. He, he crucified... So... I mean, how, how sticking to the traditional definition of crucifixion are no, the we blue, going here? The, the Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards didn't, like, nail, ha nail him into the cross, but the Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards, who are both Catholic and are Raven's boys, are tying Sandman to this cross after he's been laid out, and they're like, this is so fucked up, like, because, you know, this... 
you know, I'm a, as lapsed a Catholic as it gets, and even I found it a little bit shaky. And then they get, like, a big reel of barbed wire, and they stuck it on his head and dug it in like a crown oh, of thorns. Oh, that's hard. So you had the image of Salmon just laid out there, covered in blood with the crown of, of barbed wire. And they, oh. like, literally lifted him up on the back on the cross and carried him to the back. Fucking hell. Pretty insane image. Kurt Angle was there. He looks at you. He goes out and waves to everyone you know, earlier in the night. Later on in the night, they end with that. Kurt goes over to Paul Heyman and says, take me off this show. Take my name off anything to do with ECW. If I show up on any of your programming, you'll be hearing from my lawyer. And Kurt was like, I'm not doing wrestling. It took him two years to actually sign with WWE. Oh my God. That was his first toe dip into wrestling. Well, he thought he'd fucking start with ECW. Well, Heyman just... Because of course, you know, Heyman would be like, oh, come in. We've got Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero, Greek wrestlers. Would he like not you, have watched sir? the show? Like, I mean, Crucifixion is, is pretty tasteless, but come on now. Some of the other shit that they were doing is also pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, for me... It's only shocking if you've never seen ECW. You know, for me, it, was, it wasn't shocking because it's like, well, you know, yeah, of fucking course. Like. And of course, everyone got offended and Raven had to come out, even though Raven's whole character was that he was this master manipulator, literally had to come out and was like, I apologize for my use of religious iconography. I truly humbly apologize and walked off. I've shown you the image of Sandman. Obviously, you're not Christian. I no. mean, what, where, what's your hot take for 1986? Was that too spicy for wrestling? <laughs> I'm really the worst person to ask about this because mm. part of me is kind of the opinion that crucifixion is more of a, you know, it's a torture device. It's pretty fucking bad anyway. Yeah, it's, it's not just Jesus who got crucified, no, by the way. You lots know, lots of people got crucified. There's some Mussolini fans out there who are really pissed off about and that. And as far like, as I know, crucifixion continued to happen for quite a long while yeah. after the death of, yeah. of Christ. Romans were mad into it. Yeah, they loved that shit. I think the crown of barbed wire was what was basically like, in case you think this is not Jesus that we're doing. Yeah. It is Jesus that I we're think, doing. Yeah, I mean, if you've got the barbed wire and you've got like the blood running down his head and he's being like carried away on a cruise. Yeah. Like, I think it's the whole... It's the image as a whole, isn't it? It's a bit kind of... Eh. But then, it's ECW. This whole thing is to shock and mm. horrify and be hardcore. And to me, this is a lot less weird and upsetting than other stuff that they've done. It's very interesting because people always point out the hypocrisy that ECW got like labelled as being like, oh, this like horrible, edgy like counterculture in a bad way because of yeah, the tastes that they are. <laughs> yes. But like WWF at the time, you know, Undertaker had a symbol very, very similar to a crucifix, the mm-hmm. Undertaker symbol, and he would strap people to that, crucifying them. And Did he do anything like blood and crown of thorns? People went, who had been bloodied would be put on it. No crown of thorns, no mm-hmm. like cross. It's the Undertaker symbol, which looks quite like a crucifix. Right. But, you know, they never make Undertaker come out and say, I'm sorry for my use of religious iconography. Yeah, but I guess if it's if it's only kind of like a cross yeah. and you've not got the, the larger context of the blood running down his face and mm. him being carried It's on. just a step or two. Yeah, you can, at least you can distance yourself. Because I mean, as a kid, I, was, I didn't think, oh my God, like Jesus, when you know Steve Austin was put on the Undertaker mm. symbol or when Paul Bear was put on the Brahma Bull symbol. There's not symbols being used back in the Attitude Era. But I remember seeing that, and I saw it for the first time when I was like 16 or 17, and being like quite shocked like that they would do that. Because mm. the worst thing about it is that when they did it, everyone in the audience was quiet. Oh, no! It was too far for It was too far crowd. for ECW, yeah. I find that really funny, because like, I mean, obviously, I like I said, I am not religious in any way, shape, or form, but like that is so much less upsetting Yeah, than some of the other stuff. Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Because it's like there's some of the stuff they would do with women in ECW. Yeah. Like, you know, fucking Sandman's wife has been pile driven through a table off the apron by a Rhino and everyone was like fucking having a fit. But yeah, you do one crucifixion and <laughs> up in arms. But then, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it's not an important symbol to me personally or religiously. So I'm the, probably not a good person to ask. It's very interesting because it's like, you wouldn't have thought we started this episode that the Sandman was a roundabout way responsible for Kurt Angle not getting into wrestling for until like yeah, a few more that's years. so weird. Really put him off, like. So in our Vince episode, you said that if your parents had seen Vince's match against God, yeah. that they would have been like, no more wrestling for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. How would they have reacted to oh, this? I think they would have probably been pretty up in arms about it. Like, yeah. I think most, like, ECW was something that I wouldn't... I mean, ECW used to be on, like, you know, on uh, Bravo at, like, midnight after normal wrestling. And if I tried my, my luck, I'd try and watch it. I caught a few episodes here and there. But it's the kind of thing that if I was watching it, I was like, if my parents walk in, fucking game over. Like, I'm 11. I shouldn't be watching hardcore ECW. God, like 11? Yeah, that is quite young. Yeah. ECW. And, like, that's the thing. You have to bear in mind all this stuff. Like, ECW, I first heard of it, and I was first like, what? I was, like, between the ages of 9 and 12. Oh, that's so... Oh, God. I thought I was a rebel at that age for playing Habbo Hotel and RuneScape. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> For some reason, I just can't think of it as like Sandman being in Habba Hotel walking up to you going, yo. Aww. <laughs> Sandman has had some great foes in his time. Some of his foes have included Raven. Uh, another big foe, we're going to talk about a big match that he had now, was Sabu. This match from the November to remember, a tables and ladders match between the Sandman and Sabu. Both men were considered to be hardcore icons and kind of flowed in different circles and we're finally coming head to head in a match that everyone was like, oh, it's going to be the ultimate extreme, ultimate, ultimate, ultimate extreme match. And when we do episodes about other ECW guys, you'll find that more often than not, when they do these showdowns between ultimate extreme icons, they often end up being a little flat. This match is very, very <laughs> important because this match was wrestled after Sandman had done two hits of LSD. Joe, do you think this match that we're about to watch, having watched it now and thought about it and mulled about it for a day or two, is it obvious that the Sandman is on LSD? No, to be honest. Because mm. I, I forgot at several points while watching this that he was on acid. Yeah. And I think that's maybe because, I mean, the Sandman style is quite drunken and sloppy anyway. He's just like kind of more drunken, more sloppy than usual. Yeah. I'd say the, the main difference with this match, but I don't know if it's because he was wrestling Sabu or if it's because he was on acid. He did a lot of high spots. So many. And sometimes the same one over and over again. Yes. <laughs> this is a match that has lived in infamy for, for years. Like, last year, people were like, oh, it's the 20-year anniversary of the fucking, you know, of the November to Remember match. Because... So was this, was this marketed as him being on acid? Like... No, 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 no. Because I wouldn't even be surprised. Like, Paul Heyman, ECW, <laughs> we're going to have an acid match. Sunday night, November 16th, two hits of LSD. What's going to happen <laughs> when the Sandman gets high as fuck with Sabu? <laughs> I've got to admit, like, I know how dangerous and, like, unsafe this would be, but yeah. I would love to watch two wrestlers wrestle on acid. Yeah, I think the fact that one of them is sober, like, Sabu's maybe grinds them in reality a little it's bit. It's like when you actually take acid, you need someone there who is also sober to to make sure that you're looking after yourself and you don't set the house on fire. Yeah, I've heard that you can be quite dangerous while on acid. So, I mean, I don't know much about it, but two hits of acid seems like that's too much. So like, he's on two hits of acid here. Yes. So, I mean, I assume one hit is enough for a portion, you know? 
That's like having, you know... I didn't know there was set, like, <laughs> recommended portion amounts. Yeah, I don't know. It's like having two dinners. You'd be like, oh, that's too much dinner. Like, two yeah. hits of acid, I assume, likewise. That's too much acid, like... It's like saying, like, two hits of weed. I, I didn't know that was a, a thing. Or maybe it's, like, kind of like... I know, they, you know, a little, like, a tab yeah, of they acid come in or something tabs, like that. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it's, like, two of those, perhaps. Oh, I see. Well, if it was for a, like, a, to enhance him... I've heard that people micro-dose of it. Take very yes. small amounts. That's de- that's this is a macro dose yeah, theory. Yeah, yeah. And the, the theory with macro dosing, right, is that if you macro dose large quantities of acid, according to Sabu at least, you will think your opponent is Godzilla. Which is so funny because Sabu is wearing these really shiny pants. And like, <laughs> what Godzilla would ever be seen dead in shiny pants, okay? Fucking Godzilla. No. <laughs> that might have been Sam and be like, oh, I thought I'd find Godzilla. You fucking, you fucking mecha Godzilla. What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Mecha King Ghidor is going to steal your son, Sandman. What are you going to do, <laughs> Tyler? <laughs> I watched a shoot interview with Sandman, whose memory of this was quite hazy. Yeah, no shit. Shooting interviews with Sandman, like, there was a point last week I was very miserable. It's because I spent all day watching Sandman shoot when he was at, like, one of his low points and he was quite depressive. And. Yeah, him talking about this match, he was like, oh, Sabu wouldn't do any of the shit that I wanted to do, so I just decided to fucking do it myself, whatever, man. And Sabu was like, I watched a shit with him as well, and he's like, yeah, the fucker thought I was, thought I was Godzilla. He kept saying, hey, lizard, lizard, lizard. <laughs> like, every fucking spot, hey, lizard, 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 what the fuck? Like? What? So he assumes that means he's Godzilla and not a lizard. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I like to think that Sandman had like this conspiracy theory that all the wrestlers were li- actually <laughs> secretly lizard men. Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, like, you know, he loves you know politics and conspiracy, yeah. so it wouldn't surprise me at all. He was asked a question about the Iron Sheik on a shoot interview, and he segued into nine eleven conspiracy theories. Wouldn't be a stretch. Wouldn't be a stretch <laughs> at all. Like maybe Sandman thought it was like kind of a they live scenario. It's only mm. when you take the acid that yeah, you can see, see the like truth. Yeah, they can actually see what's going on. Yeah, he has an eyebrow piercing, I've noticed, um, yeah. at this point. 97 Sandman, getting dirty and sassy here. She, I mean, I, I wouldn't dare do that as a wrestler or as Sandman. <laughs> he is so risky getting it pulled off. Oh, man, that would be nasty. I bet that's happened to Or, him. like, being punched in the eyebrow, which was, like, the main spot they'll always try and hit. And it's like, oh. Oh, Jesus Christ. I always remember there was a girl I knew who got a lip piercing and it got caught in a <laughs> bottle once. And it was just like, Bleh! <laughs> this is the worst. Uh. So, God. So, one problem I will point out, folks, and if you're going to go search out some Sandman clips and matches, ECW and the network is a bit of a weird watch. I think you pointed out the audio quality was a bit janky for your liking. Yeah, it's really strange and inconsistent. There's, there's bits where just the audio just, like, drops, but mm. only bits of it. Like, the most of the weapons, when you pick them up and stuff, they'll make a noise. Like, yeah. the ladders and the chairs, when you toss them around, they'll make just impact sounds. And there's lots of points in this match where they don't do that, mm. which takes a lot of the impact out, unfortunately. In ECW's defense, they never had great audio. Like, so, I mean, that's part of it. But I think if you're watching on the network, because, as I mentioned before, all those, you know, copyrighted music that uh, ECW used to use so much, obviously it can't be on the network. So they've had to dub over most of it. Now, I used to get the old ECW DVDs that would come over here, and they would literally just play a Casio backing track over any of the entrance music just to, and they would play it loud. You wouldn't hear the crowd, the commentary, or anything. So Sam would come out and go... They just loudly played until he got to the ring. 
So I never got to experience it properly, you know, even as a kid. I got to see some Sandman proper entrances on when I watch ECW telly and stuff. But on the network, it's all been dubbed over, so you don't get the Enter Sandman entrances. Um, there are some cases where people have got the touched-up visuals set to the old audio. Mm. Uh, we'll put up an example of that for one of his best entrances on the additional viewing on the website on HowToWrestling.com. But yeah, it's one sad thing about watching ECW stuff, and I think it'll come up again and again, is that the audio quality is a bit janky. They try to play over all the instances of the music. Sometimes the crowd seems to get, like, dubbed out when they're saying something very raunchy or blue. It's not the authentic ECW experience. Unfortunately, you can't get the authentic ECW experience. All you can get is this, which is as good as you'll get, because otherwise it's old VHS rips, which is pretty rubbish to mm. watch. It's a shame. You'll never get to experience ECW no. Joe properly, which yeah. is, that's just the reality of it. Sloppy, scary offense by both men. Yep, there's a moment where Saman throws a ladder over the top rope, like outside of the ring, onto Sabu. And I think in his acid mind, he thought, if I throw this ladder and I just hold on to it while I throw it, I'll just be, I'll also be thrown with the ladder. I can yeah. throw me and the ladder at the same time. There's no way when you look at what Sandman does, when he's, he's hoofing that ladder and he's like, I'm me too. He just like, doesn't let go. Yeah, he just doesn't it's let go. It's not like he jumps with the ladder. He throws the ladder and he expects, I think, he's, he's, he's going with it. And now to glide to safety. Take that, Godzilla. <laughs> Only it just doesn't happen. And the ladder inevitably goes flying over the top rope and Sandman just kind of flops. Now, mistakes happen in wrestling. And when Sabu's in the ring, mistakes happen a lot. When Sandman's in the ring, mistakes happen even more. When the two of them are in the ring, mistakes are happening every other move. But in wrestling, if you make a mistake, and you do like, say, Sandman did there, where he goes, careening, he literally throws himself like a fucking javelin over the top rope. He catches his foot on the top rope. He lands literally right on his head and shoulders, on the ground, and lands right in his arse. It looks excruciating mm -hmm. now if you make a mistake in wrestling the best thing to do is to stay down and the referee can come over you can tell him what's happened and maybe we can work around it Sandman literally right to his feet like every time he he lands on his head he lands on his he falls off ladders he gets straight back up yeah like he doesn't take a second it's like oh that didn't work up we go off <laughs> to do something else it is, it's like instinctual for him to just get back up always yeah, shades of the previous encounter mm. very much in this match Salmon has a look in his eyes that seems to scream god I wish I had my affairs in order before I did this Salmon's got some cool offense with tables he suplexes tables onto people that's what he does yeah he suplexes a table at one point it's pretty cool very cool. I like that a lot. I mean, it's one of the few very unique things that Sandman can, can do. And I mean, were you surprised? Because we started off, the first things I showed you were some of his clips when he was in WWE, where he's just kind of coming out and caning people and getting squashed, really. Mm. Were you surprised to see the somersault leg dropping over the top rope Sandman that yes, we see here? I was. I was very surprised. He is actually surprisingly athletic. Yeah, he does the bitchin' leg drop, as it's known, where he just kind of and just not, hoofs himself over. Yeah, he's like the least graceful person ever. He's basically, he, if your dad, anyone's dad, tried to do, like, I could do a leg drop too, kids. And then they never do it again. Aww. <laughs> And what happens as well is that you have all these tables set up around the ring. Sandman will like dive through one right in his arse. And then Sabu will get up and do a much more spectacular version of the same move. Mm. This is your first time seeing any of Sabu. Yeah. The homicidal, suicidal, genocidal, death-defying Sabu. One of my all-time faves. What were your thoughts on seeing the man in the comfy pants? Yeah, he was great. He was very flippy. 
He does some sweet moonsaults. The ladders that they use in this match are so real and non-gimmicked. It makes you pray for them wooden spray-painted ladders that WWE have. Yeah, they get one ladder in this match was so warped and twisted. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Christ. These ladders were not bought at 123 Gimmick Street. They were bought at fucking Wix. Yeah. Like, you know, Wix when they're getting rid of the old stock that's too dangerous because of new <laughs> EU regulations. <laughs> Everything conceivable seems to get in Sandman's way in this match. Like he's like he'll run over and he'll like he keeps slipping and falling. There's always a ladder in the way. There's always a bit of table or Sabu or himself. Mm. He he's never clear of what he wants to actually do. At one point, Sabu finds a fork oh, from somewhere. Oh shit! Yeah, and this was like one of the most upsetting things I've seen in like any of the matches we've like ever watched. Mm. And that is that Sabu starts stabbing him in the face and head with a fork. Yeah. And Sandman is covered in blood. Yeah. I don't know why that is so much more upsetting to me than, like, any other weapon. Have you ever accidentally stabbed yourself with a fork? No. It's horrible. I bet it's horrible. Because the tip of a fork is blunt, which actually means that to go in, you have to kind of crush yeah. the entry points almost. I imagine you get a lot of bruising. Yeah, and I mean, a fork is an easy thing to, to gimmick and to, like, you know, you kind of you hold it in your hand so that the tips of it are there. You can see the handle out, so people are like, oh, he's got the fork. And then you do the big jump and the stomp, but... He legitimately he sticks Sandman with that fork because Sandman is really weird in this match. He doesn't get busted open. Like it's not like boom, cut, blood down his face. He keeps falling over, nicking and cutting himself on ladders, on table shards, and being hit with a fork. Mm. That he has all these million little cuts that seem to just kind of make him red all over. <laughs> in patches, like yeah. it's fucking gross. And honestly, this match goes from like Kind of funny with Sandman just diving through all these tables to very nail-biting and cringing because there's a especially odd spot that Sandman does where he oh. just goes careening over the top. He grabs a ladder as he's going and then just lands on his fucking arse. It's so awkward as well because like, it seems like it's going to be such a big spot. He like goes to the crowd and he's like, get out of the way, get out of the fucking way. And um, can, anything is scarier than Sandman on acid mm. telling you to get out of the way. You get out of the fucking yeah. way. He sets up a ladder like in the crowd basically and then he goes into the ring and then runs and tries to like dive over the top rope aiming for the ladder I think to then hit Sabu I think he's trying to do like a seesaw type yeah, thing maybe but he completely misses the ladder and just goes over the top rope and smack on the concrete floor oh, it's the concrete I keep forgetting that yeah and that's the thing because the sound is so bad yeah you can't hear that dull thunk oh. I've fallen over on concrete before and just like landed on my hands and it was really sore oh it's horrible it's the really, worst really, really sore. I didn't even fall that badly I just just like quick stumble because there's no bruised give. hands oh, bruised knees scraped knees it's uh. horrid so yeah the, the lack of hesitation like it's to the point with Sandman when he has such little hesitation that even that he loses the theatrics because in wrestling if you're going to do a big spot you kind of you stop you look left you look right now I'm going to jump he's just like boop 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 up the ladder woo off I go and the thing about the the, the failed ladder move is when he landed on the concrete in true Sandman tradition he immediately sat up and then just threw the ladder at Sabu he's like well I didn't hit him with the ladder so I'll just throw the ladder at him yeah he's like I'm not, you're getting hurt in one way or the other you're going to get sore <laughs> like. Sabu seems genuinely pissed off at times but I mean honestly he seems like that in a lot of his matches there is one moment where the two of these manage to get in sync where Sabu does a springboard off the ropes Sandman catches him in an electric chair position and dives back and that's a thing of beauty but that's one spot out of like 
29 that actually goes right. Yeah, because there's another move where he sets up the ladder in the ring. Oh, God, this is the big... This is the spot that Sabu said, I'm not doing this. And Sabu's like, yo, I'm going to fucking do it. I don't even know what the move was supposed... Was it supposed to be how it went? Because it didn't look like it went right. Um, I don't even know he knew how it was meant to go. He was going to dive off the top of the ladder through a table to the outside. Well, that is not what he fucking did. <laughs> he sets up the ladder in the middle of the ring and then does a forward roll down it. Like, uh. off outside into the ring. He doesn't even get to the top of the ladder as well. No, he doesn't. Saying. You're right. He gets halfway up the ladder and then does like a forward roll just kind of over the top kind yeah, of Yeah, he uses the ladder to kind of hoof himself <laughs> over. It's scary. That's so scary. Because he hasn't. Because he does that, he has no leap, which means he has no distance, which means his head is precariously close to the ring apron. That's the hardest part of the ring king. Uh, so that's like, you know, doubly, triply, quadruply scary. Inside the ring, we got something I didn't expect to see here and something that alarmed you greatly. Sabu produces Ryoken, a fireball. What the fuck is this? What's going on? I didn't know wrestling had fireballs. Wrestling has a beautiful, illustrious history with fireballs, Joe. I really hope, and don't tell me if this hasn't happened because mm. I don't want to know. I don't want to live in a world where this hasn't happened. <laughs> okay. But if fireballs exist in wrestling mm. and wizards exist in wrestling... Yes. I hope there's been a wizard in wrestling that throws fireballs. Not a wizard. No, don't tell me. Don't. Okay. I, if it hasn't happened, I don't want to know. A version okay. of that has happened. That's all. That's good. Thank a mysterious you. man who has, uh, is alluded to having powers or, or mysterious Far Eastern powers or, or techniques has produced a fireball. And okay. it's actually related to Sabu as well. But Sabu used to use a fireball. Sabu's uncle used to use the fireball. Memphis used to love using the fireball as a trick. What is it? Like, I don't... I, cause... Jerry Lawler used to throw fireballs. Quite common. <laughs> you just say it as though it's like an actual ability that some people have is the ability yeah, just, to throw a fireball you, you out You kind of got to focus the energy and the chi kind of in. I mean, like, he's, he's a firebender. Like, you know, so Sabu's a firebender. Jerry Lawler's a firebender. You know, they can control and harness that, that power and use it. So it sounds like a waterbender. That's why he was a, a No, Sandman is just human bender. We've established this at this point. Like. They have Very tried good. to do the fireball trick a few times in WCW and WWE, and it's never really worked. What it actually is is a piece of flash paper, which then gets lit with a lighter that you've got stashed away, and you release it. It goes boom into a big puff of fire, and the rest is meant to sell and be like, Bleh! Now what happens here is, you know, Bill Alfonso, Sabu's referee, and yes, the cause of all that whistling that was going on during the match, he distracts the Sandman in the corner, Sabu prepares the gimmick. You take out the flash paper, you conceal it in your hand, you get the lighter. The idea is that you open your hand, you light the flash paper, it goes up in a second, it's a big poof of a big fireball that just appears. Or you can even, if you're very skilled, toss it as it's being lit and the Whoa. fireball is thrown at you. It burns up in an instant before it even gets near you. That's the idea in theory. Undertaker and Mankind once tried to do the fireball in WWF. Oh. And the idea was like, oh, Mankind, the crazy, crazy character can make a bah, fireball happen. And he had the lighter. He was covered in sweat. He had the shakes. And it comes Undertaker. Hey, you did that, that. And he couldn't light the fucking gimmick. And so the Undertaker had to punch him. And then he did it again. Comes and goes, hey, did that, that. Nothing happens. So it looks really weird because these two guys just keep squaring off and then walking away from each other. And then the Undertaker, frustrated at what was going on, literally goes down picks up the flash paper, opens it up so literally everyone can see and then just lights it and throws it at Paul Bear. Like. Wow. So it's literally like, there's no such thing as magic. 
says the magical wrestler, oh, the Undertaker. You like this other one though? It involves Hulk Hogan. Oh. In 1998, Hollywood Hulk Hogan decided what better way to get at the Ultimate Warrior in WCW than then by producing a fireball dude drawing on all the power of the Hulkamaniacs and the Hulkazoids. I produce a ball of flame. Fire alchemy. Now, surprisingly, Hulk Hogan ain't no fire alchemist. He's there trying to light it. Can't do it. In the corner. Everyone's dripping and sweating. Hogan lights it and it blows up in his face and <laughs> singed all the hair off his mustache and eyebrows. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. Oh, I have to see a picture of him. Yeah. Please tell me there's a picture of him with no hair on his face. It's, not, it's, it's all singed like, you know. <laughs> it's awful. So bad. So... People rarely use the fireball because A, it's very difficult, B, it's very dangerous, and C, if it goes wrong, you look like the biggest fucking jabroni. <laughs> I think the trouble with using this fire paper stuff, right, mm-hmm. that requires a lot of dexterity. And usually it comes at the end of a long, grueling match that's usually kind of a hardcore, brawling Tired, type match. shaking hands. Sweat. Like, lighting yeah. a lighter. You know how hard lighting a lighter can be sometimes. Yeah. I mean, if I struggle with scented candles around the house, I'm going to struggle after a 30-minute match and flash paper, you know? But this really, really, really makes me want to see, I've mentioned this before, mm-hmm. a magical wrestling show. Because, <laughs> like, I'd love to see fucking actual performers who are skilled with handling fire try and pull off moves like that because that'd be so cool yeah in the middle of a match they go bah and they throw it out like it's always in the corner the fireball comes from when we do Sabu and look at uh, his heritage and whatnot, you'll see a lot more of that that fireball action fire and wrestling get on together like a house on fire sometimes a wrestling ring on fire so with the distraction from Bill Alfonso because of course Sandman doesn't sell having a fireball thrown in his fucking face (laughs) we get the atomic Arabian face buster with the ladder Sabu wins that was a fucking, you know what, a complete train wreck. Probably even more so than the first one. Yeah. But I will say, when I was watching this match, you went, whoa! I hadn't seen you react like that since some of the Jimmy Havoc stuff that we'd seen. Mm. Like, in terms of big, whoa, holy shit spots, you did seem to react quite a lot. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on the infamous November to remember between Sandman and Sabu. I uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Although most of... <laughs> Most of the enjoyment comes from the fact that it's kind of like a lot of botches and it's things. It's a total botch fest. Yeah. Like. So I gave it three stars out of five. Because <laughs> it was still fun. Still a fun match. Also, like, fucking, I wonder how on earth Sandman felt on acid having a fireball thrown at his face by a giant lizard. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, maybe that's why he thought it was Godzilla. Does Godzilla throw fire? Well, Godzilla shoots fire from his oh! mouth. Now we know. Lizard. <laughs> there you go, though, because it was red fire, not blue fire, like proper Godzilla. So you're a fair weather Godzilla fan. Ain't no kaiju come around your house, Sam, man. So if that doesn't epitomize drug culture in ECW, I don't know what does. Imagine that come down, though, from a wrestling match and being on acid and all those botches. Oh, God, he's going to need like a big dinner after that, a big burger, like, you know, ease himself back down into real <laughs> life. There is some crazy Sandman stories out there, as you could probably guess and imagine, about Sandman's use of various drugs and whatnot. Here's one from Sandman. He was asked on a shoot interview what was the most fucked up he had ever been at a show. And here he goes. Where he's not going to just say the one we've watched where he was on acid? No, no, that one wasn't the most fucked up ever, according to him. So he says, it's a big show. Everyone's pretty fucked up from the night before. I'm rolling. Rolling for him, by the way, means that he's high or he's like... 
Okay. You know, not there. I'm fucking rolling. I've done a shitload of ecstasy, and I go to Paul and I tell him, I'm fucking scared, Paul. I don't know if I'm going to be able to wrestle the show. And Paul looks me dead in the eyes, and he says, You go find New Jack and get some fucking cocaine in your system right now. Cocaine. Cocaine. Cocaine on top of ecstasy. To, to balance some ale. Because <laughs> that's what you need if you're on uppers. You need more uppers. <laughs> You go get new check and get some co like he's left his book behind for school or something like. And yet Vince McMahon is the one that was taken to court for pressuring his wrestlers into taking drugs. Yeah, well, I mean, at least Paul Heyman promoted a rich, varied diet. Like, you know, they got yeah. their five a day. Like. You got to get your balance of all the drugs. Yeah, you got to get the fiber drugs, the carb <laughs> drugs, you know. And the other crazy Sandman story that I heard of, and this is a match that people wanted to request most of all, which is Sandman versus Death. It's late ECW time in around the year 2000 or thereabouts. Rhino comes into the locker room. And you know, you've seen Rhino on the current show, Joe. He was on NXT as well. Mm -hmm. Big, intense dude. Rhino comes into the locker room where Tommy Dreamer is. And Tommy was running the show. And Rhino's got tears streaming down his face. And he's like, I fucking hate these guys. I'm never fucking riding with them again. And Tommy's like, what's wrong? Sandman's fucking dead, man. Sandman's fucking dead. I fucking hate these guys. And Tommy's like... The show's been to start in an hour or two. And he's like, well, what? what, what Salmon's dead. Was like, well, not anymore, but he was. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was, there was a car and it was like Rhino, Little Guido, Bill Alfonso was there as well. They're driving down the road to the show. And of course, there's a lot of gimmicks in the car. Gimmicks is ECW terminology for drugs. Oh, well, that's not at all confusing. Yeah. Okay, you got those gimmicks? Because we're doing that gimmick match later. I've got to be gimmicked up. I've got to use my gimmicks in the gimmicked match. <laughs> No, not those gimmicks, you idiot. My gimmicks. You know it's my gimmick to have gimmicks and to use my gimmicks in the gimmick matches. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sandman has taken a lot of stuff. He's rolling, in his own words. Uh, he's taking a lot of pills. I think he had said at one point, like he said in the past, like Raven would come up to him and be like, you can take three of the white ones, one of the blue ones, or two of the red ones. And I took fucking four of the blue ones, man. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. Like, they would just have all these party pills. Like, So Salman's done a load of pills. He's in the back of the car. Salman's pretty quiet, which everyone's a bit concerned about. And all of a sudden they turn over. And it's like, yo, guys, Salman's got a bit cold. He's turning blue and purple. They pull over. Salman's heart seemingly has stopped and he is not breathing. So what they decide to do, everyone being well fucking educated smartened up people in the business they take all the drugs out of the car because they realize if they call the ambulance and they find salmon there with all the drugs there's gonna be a lot of jail time involved so they get all the drugs out of the car they give it to bill alfonso it's like i'm gonna go to the hospital daddy i'll see you there and they ring the ambulance then once they've gotten rid of all the drugs from the car on the side of the road what and then the <laughs> But the ambulance surely wouldn't search their car. If they had been, if he had passed out from a suspected overdose and they found all them hard drugs in the car, and you're talking now, there would have been stuff for everyone in there. There would have been coke, there would have been pills, would have been everything. So there would have been hard time going down there for that, like for possession and stuff. Oh, right. Because I think they were bringing, they would bring stuff for the locker room. You oh, see. Oh God. So you would essentially, right. when you've that much, you're technically distributing and whatnot. Well, they were. They were. <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely were. And Sandman shows up then uh, an hour or two later to Tommy Dreamer and he's like, yo, they shot my tits up full of adrenaline like Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction. I'm ready to go. And he wrestled. Shit. He'd been dead for like five minutes or something like that. Fucking hell. Whoa. At what point does this, like, it become, it's not being a wild story and just start being like, 
it supersedes all of that. Like, you hear, like, Keith Richards and fucking Rolling Stones, you hear stories like this. Mm. Or, like, Keith Moon from fucking The Who or something. The Sandman, I can't think of anyone I've heard stories like this from. Type in wrestler who had any involvement with any of the companies Sandman was in, and then Sandman, and then Story. And there's probably going to be a couple of tales like that. Wow. It was the time Sandman was naked in a wrestling ring. Uh, Sandman what? was really fucked up. And he was doing a tag match. It was him and Tommy Dreamer and New Jack versus the network at an ECW house show. And Tommy Dreamer got on the microphone and he said, come on, let's hurry up and do this match so we can go down to a bar and see Sandman get naked. Because Sandman was getting really, he was really fucked up. And Sandman, for some reason, thought that meant get naked now. And he took off his clothes. There is footage out there. You can buy it still off RF Video. It's not a plug, guys, because I don't condone it. We get a affiliate commission if you look at Sandman naked. But you can. There is footage of Sandman completely naked in a wrestling ring, drunk off his tits, trying to uh, wrestle. Cool. How does he feel about that? You know, it's actually really sad because I told you when the shooting interviews I watched, it was just after he left WWE, it was like 2008, and he's like, not really in a good place. And it was brought up as kind of like, whoa, these wacky story of you got naked. He's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, I think that's one of the things I regret most in my life. And yeah. Like he, he said like he realized at that point that he had like kind of, he had, he like, the way he phrased it was like, if my, you know, knowing that my kids will probably see that someday. And it yeah. just kind of, at the time he didn't think twice about it, but now it's like he regrets it. And obviously it was like... Yeah, it's it's interesting that he regrets that more than like some of the like really scary stuff that he's done to himself. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's because like, that's really embarrassing. It is, and it's like... It's quite vulnerable as well to be like, oh, have that happen, everyone laugh at you, and then it go down in history as being like one of the wackiest, most embarrassing and people moments. people selling it as well. And like. Selling it, yeah. And it's just like, you know, there's you can have the character and you can have the mystique and all that but I'm sure there is a point this happens with not just wrestling with, with anyone who's known as being you know, the if you're the departure of the mm. group and there comes the point where you realise you know people want you to get fucked up and to be stupid. Yeah, they're like almost encouraging that because it's fun for them. I don't know there's a lot of people I know back home oh, who yeah. have kind of you know, there was the point where we stopped being in our early 20s and now you're in your late 20s. You realise that people just like seeing you being balubas drunk and falling over and acting like a fool. It's really kind of sad, like, because you take advantage... People are unwittingly taking advantage of a behaviour. Absolutely. Like- One of my closest friends gets drunk very easily and mm. um, I'm having a big falling out with friends over <laughs> uh, yeah. them encouraging him to drink lots and because it's really funny. So it's not actually. It's no. just taking advantage of a venerable person. Like. Sandman stayed around ECW until around about 1998. He's one of the longest tenured people with ECW and also won the ECW Championship more than anyone, like five times. But he, I think all of his reigns all combined together is like something like three months. He was always like, when Paul was trying to figure out who I put the belt on next, he could put it on Sandman because he knew that the Sandman would always be loved by the crowd. No one in the crowd was like, like oh, fuck Sandman being champion, even though he couldn't wrestle for shit. Like, That's so interesting. Yeah, that he was like cool with that, like being in that role, like being the transitional champion. <laughs> you compare that attitude to today's audience to Roman Reigns yeah. and how much people go on about how him, he can't wrestle. Yeah. Whew. He can fucking wrestle, lads. He, <laughs> seriously, <at> Sam, <laughs> yeah. Sam tried to pump up his fist like that; his hand would just fall off, like you know. Aww. So Sam, like a lot of people in ECW, and I think we talked about how WWF and WCW took a lot of ECW's ideas. Now we didn't mention on Heyman's episode that he did have a bit of a working relationship with Vince, which was some guys would get sent up there in exchange for some support and some money, and people could view like 
Cactus Jack and the Dudley Boys and Steve Austin all going to WWF as WWF raiding the talent. But Heyman always knew that's what was going to happen. WCW, on the other hand, looked at people like Sandman and Mikey Whipwreck and Stevie Richards, just basically anyone they could get their hands on, and they offered them big-ass money to come over here, and no one's going to turn that down. And before you know it, 1998, ECW, most of its well-known roster, like Raven, Sandman, Bam Bam Bigelow, they were all on WCW, which was kind of shitty for if you were an ECW fan to see your favorite wrestlers all go to this other company like and get bought up. So Sandman was paid $5,000 a week in WCW. Yes, a week. It made that a week in WCW. And he only was actually in WCW for around about a calendar year, from like late 98 to around late 1999. They had a parting of ways. At WCW were like, fine, you can just fuck off and go wrestle elsewhere. But his contract was still good. This is like shows you how WCW would give money to everyone. So he went back to ECW, where Paul Heyman paid him $3,500 a week. So... Between 1999 and 2001, when his contract was still good, he was making around nine grand a week in total, which was around half a million dollars a year. I'm trying to think in terms of like current wrestlers then. Yeah. Because that sounds about what kind of like a, a lot of, not the big, big guys like Brock Lesnar or John Cena, but like kind of the top, middle top guys. I mean, Finn Balor and The Miz would be making around that, I would have yeah, thought. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I, I'll admit right now... It's quite difficult and sketchy what the pay is at the moment in WWE. They're quite good at hiding that. It's not publicly known. But people talk about how much they were paid back this time all the time on shoot interviews and wrestling lore and whatnot. Couple that into the fact as well that Sandman, surprisingly, you might think, a very well-educated man. Degree in psychology and economics. Wow, nice. Owned multiple construction businesses, car service. He owned hacks, his own strip club. He had mail-order businesses. He had a whole life outside of wrestling. So what, while he was wrestling, he was like, what, investing all this money yeah. into his various ventures? He owned property all across Pennsylvania and Clever Utah guy. and stuff like that. That's great. That uh, makes me so happy to hear that wrestlers do that. It's like really investing in your future. Well, like Sandman realized like, you know, his style was time limit in terms of what he was doing to his body and it's like yo you're gonna fucking pay me all this money you know fucking invest it like yeah. he's a, people will look at him and go oh cigarettes smoking he's obviously an idiot like and it's funny because when you think that sandman invests his money really really well compared to someone like scott hall who sandman oh, yeah. said scott hall was basically making 50 grand a week he was fucking hell he's, you know, he's like stealing money from the company almost they were making that much money and you know he didn't save a penny of it. You squandered oh. it all. So it's really interesting to see what wrestlers recognise. Okay, this is a good thing I got going here. Let's fucking make some hay. And like clever choices as well. Construction. Yeah. That's because uh, I know that his his background was in that, wasn't it? It's yeah. Why he's uh, so nimble on the uh, chairs and what have you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all that scaffolding he used to climb. <laughs> that's that's so cool. I'm I'm really happy to hear that. So does he run those businesses then? Is he still quite active in the business world? As far as what I know, he still has a company or two, but he sold a number of them. I know that his sons were involved in his construction business, but like I know that when he left WWE, one of the reasons why it was like, look, I literally just sold a company for like a million dollars. I don't need this. Like, so wow, that's pretty cool to have that. Like, because. So many people in wrestling kind of feel like they're trapped in their gimmick. Yeah, and I think so many people think they're going to be wrestling forever, not realising, actually, my body won't last that long, might get injured, and also, really, should I be doing it that long? I think Sam is an interesting one, because if he started and that was his gimmick, he probably would have had that viewpoint. But I think the Mm -hmm. fact that he started with different gimmick and then happened upon this one where it's like I can do fucking nothing and like make some good money here. He really rode that wave, and I can't think of anyone who actually 
did quite so well for themselves out of that because you know Tommy Dreamer didn't make that type of money the Dudleys didn't make that money when they went to WWE initially it took a long time for them to make that type of money so he did really well god it's so interesting looking at like him and all his peers I like if you showed that group to anyone who like knows anything about wrestling be like okay all right guess guess which one is living the high life now has like a really good retirement like, yeah yeah living it up it's fucking Sandman <laughs> you would never guess it well, Sandman's entry into WCW was an interesting one. Uh, WCW really didn't know how to handle the ECW wrestlers and tell stories. They were just like, we want hardcore wrestling's popular. We want hardcore wrestlers. So they signed up everyone. And hack, he was, they didn't want to pay for the rights to the Sandman name that he owns. Hang on. They didn't know what to do with all these wrestlers. No, they just hired them. And so instead of just doing what they did that already worked well, they were like, Nah. Just do rest. Just do hardcore stuff. We'll buy loads of gimmick stuff. You all wrestle Won't hardcore matches. Won't even pay for your name. No, but they were like they decided that they're not going to pay for the Sandman name. So he was just going to know as Hack, hardcore but, Hack. But they're willing to pay him five grand a week, <laughs> but they're not willing to buy the name the Sandman. Joe, there's a guy in WCW who made four hundred thousand dollars a year for like five years and didn't even appear on camera once Fucking because he owned the hell. rights to a gimmick that they never ended up using properly. So yeah, it's WCW is a. We learn more about ECW and WCW as we go along. They will get dedicated episodes in the future, but you're getting a bit of a picture of the the expenditure. There's a reason why the president of the company had the nickname ATM Eric at the time, <laughs> was because money was being thrown out left and right. And Sandman's how they brought him in was very very strange. Raven, who we've seen already as a as a character a little bit. Raven was revealed on WCW TV to not actually be, not to be this like loner grunge type character, but he was actually a rich kid who lived in a nice house. And he was like driving around to his house like, yeah, this is my nice mansion. Here's my sister, Chastity. And then they go back and there's a wacky neighbor playing golf. And who is it? It's the Sandman. So that's how Sandman came into WCW as Raven's rich, wacky neighbor. What the fuck have they done to it? (laughs) God, the ECW fans must have been so pissed. I mean, yeah, if you see Hardcore Hack showing up and he's not coming out to enter Sandman, he's not called Sandman, like, he's not smoking. Not just that, but like the Raven shit as well. Yeah. Like, all your faves are basically being ruined. Yeah, they did the whole thing where it's like, oh, it's just a gimmick. It didn't actually steal his son. He's my fun neighbor. Like, yo, Raven, Scotty, what's going on, man? Wow. And they dropped that angle pretty much straight away and then just brought him in. <laughs> the funniest thing, Sandman's first night in WCW... They didn't call him anything because he didn't know what his name was going to be yet. They just knew that he wasn't going to be Sandman. So he had like a match with Bam Bam Bigelow. And they're like, oh, this extreme individual here who's trying to be the most extreme, like, you know. I try to find a good match from this point in time. He has got some really fun little weird matches. I mean, if you want to see some really weird encounters, Sandman versus Kevin Nash. That's a thing that happened in WCW. He had a great match with Mikey Whipwreck. This one was requested by a number of people. From WCW Uncensored 1999, the match determined who is most extreme. Is it Bam Bam Bigelow, Raven, or Hardcore Hack? Hack is covered in barbed wire. Yeah, he's all wrapped up, which looks really uncomfortable. And when you saw this for the first time, you were like, you were shocked because it was like, that's how Dan had drawn the artwork. Yeah, when me and Dan were working on the artwork together, he came up with the idea of him kind of being almost enveloped by barbed wire. Because mm. he liked the idea because it was on his arm tattoo. Yeah, so yeah. So he liked the idea of it almost coming to life and kind of enveloping him, which I thought was just looked really cool. Mm. We're both like, yeah, that, that looks nice. And then you were like, oh yeah, that's actually how he ended up dressing. Because they wouldn't let him smoke or drink beer on, on WCW TV. Mm. So he still wanted a gimmick. And I just like the idea of him coming with, like, surrounded by a force field 
of barbed wire, basically. Yeah. Like, and I like the fact that the artwork was a, a happy accident with <laughs> the actual relevant barbed wire. He looks very, 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 very comfortable in this match. Other than the barbed wire. To the Other entrance. than the barbed wire. I mean, <laughs> with the barbed wire and them slacks, you're talking about a regular day at work clothes. That's mm. like the level of comfort that he's at. Like. Yeah. Thoughts on seeing Bam Bam Bigelow, the beast from the East, for the first time? Yeah, he was an interesting guy. He looked a bit like he was trying to dress up as a knockoff cane. Because <laughs> he was on fire. Well, yeah, he had like a, a skin-tight fire suit, and he looks a bit like Albert. <laughs> he's a weird-looking guy, and he's got a weird symbol on him. I'm surprised you didn't just go right for a Guy Fieri reference. I was waiting for that to happen. Yeah, he like... does look a bit like Guy Fieri, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Hack gets bopped around a lot in this match. Uh, this is WCW's version of hardcore, I guess. Uh, Uncensored was a pay-per-view where it's like, every match is going to be extreme. And the commentators keep saying, like, oh, this is really extreme. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's something about it. If you hear Bobby the Brain Heat in here, he's like, he thinks it's a joke, this whole thing. Like, you can kind of see this is reinforcing negative stereotypes. This is garbage wrestling, as it would be called. Mm. Just a load of shit in the ring, lads hitting each other with it. I mean, what did you think of the, the kind of nature of this match with all the stuff that was out there? Yeah, I didn't like all the shit in the ring, but that's because it made me very nervous. They had um, fallen over. Well, they do, and I just, I keep thinking, like, you know, one slip of the ankle, that you step on something slightly wrong, mm. you can break a leg. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Sandman is known for being quite stumbly. Yeah. And this is uh, full of hazards and whatnot in the ring. Although WCW, unlike ECW, were much more along the lines of, you know, rubber-tipped barbed wire, everything was gimmicked. Uh, to sum up WCW for you perfectly, there was once a backstage brawl there where someone's like, come here! And he, he throws all the stuff off the table. There's like a, a TV and it falls off and it bounced up off the crowd because it was a, oh ru- like a rubber TV. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> Salmon gets hit with an oar at one point and it breaks. Oh, it's horrible. It's like smashed on his neck. It breaks in two. Now, it's probably a gimmick though because it's WCW. Probably made out of like, what, those Rusk biscuits that you got me when I was sick? Like, that's what it probably looks like it was made of. But the best thing about it is that Salmon gets hit and then the camera just crash zooms in on him. He just goes, He just starts screaming. It's like a five alarm or shot like five <laughs> seconds later. <laughs> so that would have been a gimmick at all then? I think, usually speaking, with the exception of chairs, most of the stuff in WCW tended to be gimmicked, yeah. Okay. Because WCW had a lot of standards and practices and they're like, oh, you know, you, you know, corporate culture, they wouldn't allow like real dangerous stuff to be used. Right. But it often was to the detriment because it was often very hokey, a lot of the stuff that they would use. I wanted to know, though, seeing as this match had literally everything but the kitchen sink. I did check. There was no kitchen sink. Mm. You mentioned you didn't really like the Singapore cane, although you thought Sandman used it well. What are your favourite and least favourite weapons to use in all types of, like, no DQ, hardcore, crazy brawling wrestling? What, and I'm including tables and ladders and chairs and everything in there. What are your favourite weapons in wrestling? My absolute favourite weapon in wrestling is the aluminium bin. Oh yes, because it looks it looks horrible when yeah. you hit someone with it. Like the way it crumples is so cool. Bonk. But also, it's reassuring to me because I know it doesn't hurt that much. Yeah, there's a part here where Sam gets clunked with the bin, and then he falls over and he lands on it, and like it just dents just his head like, like a ah, soft pillow. Go to sleep, Mister Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> Any other faves? Um, fire extinguishers. They're not really a weapon, is it? I never understood the point of a fire extinguisher as a weapon. (laughs) Oh no, I'm not on fire. (laughs) I'm prevented from being on fire. You've actually given me a buff, you silly bastard. Steel chairs Mm. are quite entertaining. 
dramatic, I always find. Dramatic, it's, yeah. It's a bit of steel chair shot that's just like, ooh. Especially with Sandman, there's quite a few steel chair shots to the head, which mm. are a bit scary, and you can see the way the, the chair is, like, crumpled beneath him. Oh, yeah. There is a part later in the match where Raven duct tapes Sandman's hands together mm. and behind his back... And then he lays in like five of these massive chair shots. The chair is just crumpling around him. Yeah. And the bad thing about it is that the tape comes undone like immediately. But Sandman, the old pro, the old magician with his tricks, tucks his thumbs into the belt loops of his trousers behind his back. So they're kind of still up there in the same position. Yeah. Good choice. Well done, Sandman. Least favorite weapons. Kendo stick, I think, is definitely up there. Okay. Hmm. Some ladders, but it depends on how they're used. And there's okay. a lot of these. It kind of depends on who's used. Because like certain weapons can be used very effectively mm. by certain individuals. Like Sandman with the kendo stick, I like. Yeah, yeah. How about Sledgehammer from Triple no, H? I don't. I hate, I hate Triple H's Sledgehammer. How about the cinder block that Dean and Seth have used a few times? The big cinder block that crumbles into dust as soon as you hit someone with this. They've used a couple of different cinder blocks mm. over time. And when used effectively... They're very, very good. Yeah. But you have to... If you're going to have a gimmicked cinder block, mm. you have to have a wrestler who knows how to pretend to pick up something heavy. Yeah, when it's like mad light. Like, yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> and then just drop it on the floor and it just bounces away. Barbed wire. I quite like barbed wire. Really? Because it's really scary. Mm. And I know it's not too dangerous. <laughs> oh no! Did something really bad happened with barbed wire. Well, if we get to that Sabu match at some point, maybe we might have oh, a second no. opinion on that. Light tubes. Oh, no, they're scary. I don't yeah. like them. Even though you know that they can be done safely. Oh yeah, if they're gimmicked, I don't mind. Mm. I mean, they're very satisfying to see. Yeah. But I just get very nervous around. For me, nothing beats a good old-fashioned table. You know, yeah, going through a good. table. But then even then, like, one of the matches oh, God, we watched yeah. later. Well, WCW, there's a number of issues here with WCW just trying to like suck up all the fucking wrestling from around the world and just do it without any fucking thought into it. Yeah. Because the ring is filled with all this stuff and they've got tables and there's like three or four tables that come into play in this match. They look like the type of tables you'd get in an underfunded school. They're shabby chic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Distressed. Like. Mm, totally. But they're dirty old thick tables with big Solid, metal yeah. bars on the side they're reinforced and you know it's bad when the first move is Bam Bam Bigelow doing a big dive and Bam Bam's like nearly 400 pounds legit and mm. it barely dents the table it's Jeez. like I don't I don't hold up much hope for the rest of these lads no. it's sore to go through them it's the worst of the concrete it feels like speaking of weapons they use an ironing board as a weapon in this match <laughs> and never thought I would find that entertaining as a weapon but it gets all twisted and mangled from yeah. being hit with so many times. And then Sandman, cool. he gets tossed into it in the corner yeah. and just crumpled around him. <laughs> Great spot, yeah. And I wonder what is the main goal here when the crowd finally gets into it and all they do is chant ECW. Mm. That's another company's name. Like That's yeah. not really what we want, is this? Raven and Hack take turns trying to take down Bam Bam Bigelow, like getting with a sleeper. There's a moment where both guys jump on top of Bam Bam's back, like to do like a all three doing a sleeper, and they just collapse in a heap. Mm. And there's so much shit around the ring, it's fucking terrifying. Has there ever been a trash match before? Like an actual, like a match <laughs> where it's just full of trash everywhere and they use it as, as weapons? The maybe. rules is trash. Well, there's trash there for some reason, or they use it. 
for something. I was about to say no, and I just realised WCW, as part of this hardcore division gimmick, did do a junkyard invitational match, which was basically like Mad Max. It was done like they did like a helicopter cam, and all these wrestlers were all down there. Hack was one of them. William Regal was in there as well. So basically, everyone who wasn't a big star on their roster was like resting in a junkyard, wow. resting on cars and trash, hurting each other quite badly. If you wanted a trash match, this is a fucking trash match because you got three wrestlers, three trash bag wrestlers rolling around. You were the ones who were wrestling in trash, trash. It was covered in garbage. It's ridiculous. Chastity turns on her brother Raven. She used the fire extinguisher to kill Bam Bam and set him off the top rope. Then she sprays Raven. Hack manages to eke out a win here. Everyone in the match looked comfy, other than the fact that they were taking all these horrible bumps. Mm. It was a match that I had high hopes because people recommended this one. A few people did, and I saw it listed elsewhere as one of his best matches. I really, I didn't actually end up liking it that much. No. What were your thoughts? It was all right, but yeah, I only gave it two stars because mm. um, it was, there wasn't really good wrestling in it from anyone. And it felt very prohibitive, like this, like, and this is like, it was bad because it was like the commentators were chuckling, kind of going, well, this is hardcore, I guess, guys. You know? Yeah, it's weird that, like, the other two matches we did where mm. Sandman is concussed in the first one <laughs> and, on and on acid in the second <laughs> this is the one that made me most nervous really yeah just because of all the shit in the ring like. all the shit and all the weird botches and everyone seems mm. to be kind of not really cohesive and them chair shots as well like fucking hell yeah. like the ones that he took in the end he laid those in so yeah this gets two stars and I think the trouble with this match as opposed to the ECW matches is the ECW matches are messy mm. this is just sloppy oh there's a difference isn't mm. there because oh that's really fucking true yeah because Messi can work with ECW because the crowd expects that and there's kind of a, a madness and chaos and, and it's a fun. theme that runs through the show whereas WCW it feels like they like oh here come the extreme wrestlers guys and they dump all the shit in the ring it's like go rest in the trash you trash and it's almost like any hardcore stuff that comes from that is almost accidental yeah and it's almost kind of a well anyone can do this they just took a load of stuff from a house and they're hitting each other with it guys yeah mmm mm. So, Salman did return to ECW. I showed Joe the video of Salman's entrance, which Lance Storm, he was in the ring arrested at the time, still claims it's the loudest reaction he has ever heard in wrestling, Salman's return in 1999 to ECW. He was there as a mainstay until the end, until ECW closed down in 2001. He was the second-to-last ECW champion. Like, the last angle they shot was him winning the belt and then Rhino beating him for the belt, like, straight away afterwards. Salmon flowed around some different companies. XPW started in Philadelphia. was basically trying to do the same thing as, as ECW. But Salmon's one of those wrestlers. We've seen a few of these gimmicks where, oh, that's a gimmick for life. Like, if I am going to a show and mm. Salmon is advertised, I want to hear the music. Yeah. I want to see the entrance. I want to have beer in my vicinity. Mm. Like, sprayed yeah, I would with want me. to be sprayed on some, by some beer. Yeah. I saw Sandman live in the Leisureland Centre in Galway, which is where I got this horrible scar on my forehead as a child. Wait, uh, from Sandman? Not from <gasps> Sandman. Sandman? <laughs> no. A bad boy. With the kendo stick. It's the reason Kevin had to have plastic surgery, you bad man, Sandman. <laughs> but I saw him in the Leisureland Centre in Galway, and I paid tenner for my ticket. Ten euros, like seven, seven pounds. And I, I, that's why I wanted to see. I wanted to see the entrance. I wanted to see the beer, and I got to see all that, and mm. it was awesome. Because and then he wrestled, and it was shit. Yeah, it's, it's fine. <laughs> but he was right beside me, and he did the beer thing, and it was right by me, and I was like, "This is great." It's like bucket list moment for me. Yeah. And if you're like Sam, man, now like he 
he appears for Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore promotion. Tommy says that, you know, he's like his good luck charm. Yeah. You know, he doesn't wrestle the match, but every night he'll have Sandman come out and just, you know, cane someone, do the entrance. I gotta admit, like, and I haven't even grown up with Sandman. I've only just heard of him in the last week. Mm. And yet, if I heard that Sandman was coming to, like, Manchester, even if it was a fucking shit show promotion full of people I've never heard of, mm. I would go just in a the off chance I got to experience that. That's the best thing about it, because you don't, you aren't going to expect him to wrestle a match or do anything. No. So that's a gimmick for life. So Salman's always been able to to find himself in places. He's obviously never going to wrestle for like a Ring of Honor or, or anything <laughs> like that. Although surprisingly, he did some stuff in Japan where ECW did some crossovers. 2005, WWE decide after the success of an ECW DVD that they released, which was called The Rise and Fall of ECW, which is basically all the guys on the roster chatting about ECW. It was one of their highest selling DVDs of all time, second only to like WrestleMania. And as a result, Vince was told Heyman, right, we're going to do a, a reunion show then. There's money to be made in this. And Heyman and Dreamer were tasked with putting together the show and they called as many people as they could and they got the Sandman there. And... Probably the, the greatest entrance in wrestling history. We've talked about it already, but if you've not seen it, One Night Stand 2005, Sandman coming out to enter Sandman. It was a very magical thing. It's meant to be a one-night deal. Went really well the pay-per-view. Sold a lot. Of, it sold like 400,000 buys, which is a lot for, for 2005. 2006, they're going to do it again. Except this time, ECW is going to be relaunched as a whole new brand. As to be like Raw, SmackDown, and ECW. And Sandman's brought back in. Sandman got into the best shape of his life. We've seen some clips of Sandman from around this time where he's lost a load of weight. You know, when he was fighting the zombie and stuff. What do you think of Sandman's body transformation? It's pretty amazing. He looks great. He really looks like he's been kind of looking after himself more than he did in his earlier days. He looks better there than he did 16 years previously. Yeah, like him as his surfer gimmick, it's really weird. He looks way older than he does, like, today. Mm. If you see pictures of him, like, right this year, he looks way better now than he did back then. I think it was really interesting that they decided to bring in the Sandman as a part of all these groups, because I was a big, you know, I was a late ECW. I got to ECW in like 2002, the year after it, it folded, obviously. And I became like a massive fan. So I was really excited about this relaunch. But even me, as a happy teenager, was like, oh, the Sandman, though. I'm not sure if he's, if he's going to wrestle every week, is he? And the idea that Heyman said when he was in control of the show was that he wanted Sandman to come out every week and just to beat up something and hit it with his cane that wasn't ECW. So we saw, when we did our live show, actually, I showed you the zombie. And who came out to be of the zombie? Yeah, it was the Sandman. It was the Sandman. So I remember actually at the time being like, wow, the guy who's hitting himself with a beer can is actually probably weirder and more interesting than this zombie that he's beaten up. <laughs> week on week, they did that. He would come out, he'd beat up Macho Libre, who was a parody of Randy Savage and Nacho Libre. And then he bet up a priest who was saying how evil ECW was. That was Sandman's role. Then Heyman got released from the company, Creative Differences, and he just started being used as another guy. And I showed you some of the clips of matches. He just got beat up pretty much. I don't understand how that happens. Because, like, anyone... You don't even have to have watched wrestling before. You could watch the Sandman and Mm. get immediately, oh, that's what works here. It's obviously the entrance. Who sees Sandman and thinks, yeah, you know what, let's put him in some... Let's have people squash him 
to get them over because it's not going to get anyone over. It's like, well, you've beaten the Sandman in two seconds. Well, he can't wrestle. And also, yeah. all you do is then, it was like, oh, here comes the Sandman, the guy who loses in two seconds. And also, it means you don't get to hear his music again, which is what we want. We want to hear his music again. And you can't hear his music because they don't have the rights to it. Oh, uh, so they fucked it up. Yeah. And actually, I looked up about it because I remember I mentioned with Vince before about, you know, in our last episode, him being out of touch. And I was like, I need to look up and make sure this is actually actually happened. And Sandman said it like, literally they rang up they got the rights for one night for one night stand they had to pay like 50 grand for it whoa one night one night and then when they're like right let's try to do it again the metallica have had the same lawyer since like 95 and the the lawyer was literally like i remember you you're the fuckers who didn't want us to play in SummerSlam 1995 fuck yeah all right you wanted 50 grand per play so right sam and you got new music now oh my god which, you know what? I still enjoyed his... I, I like that, but I it, don't. it's not Enter Sandman, though. It's not. It's you not know, close. You can't have the whole crowd going... <laughs> oh, dear. It doesn't even sound like it. No. It actually, doesn't even have the same... Because, like, part of the beauty of Enter Sandman as an entrance music is it's got, like, a certain strutting quality mm. to it. You can listen to Enter Sandman and walk down the street and kind of be instilled with a sense of confidence. Yeah, yeah. You can't do the same with his new music no. here. And also, as well, the first thing to go out, like, after his first appearance with the rebrand, No More Cigarettes. So, you know, you can't do that. Which, again, I mean, I was like, well, I get, you can't have a guy smoke on TV every week, I guess, if you're a... Co- Why? Because it's WWE and we're, you know, a fucking publicly owned company. We can't have a, someone smoking, right? Uh, that's their viewpoint. You couldn't show a guy smoking. What year would this have been? 2006. Just trying to think of some of the other dodgy shit they were definitely doing that's way worse than having some 2006 smoke. had a bra and panties gauntlet match, I believe. Well, so. there we fucking go. Nice but double yeah. standards. Whoa, 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 whoa. Put out the cigarette, whoa, Sandman. cigarette? Even though it's literally legal. Sandman, okay, I, I know you mean well here, but we're just a simple family crowd trying to enjoy this match, the stipulations are of which the last woman left who's not been stripped for her bra and panties has won and there's six women to get through. Would you put out that cigarette? Someone might get offended. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I felt bad for Sam because like, I mean, I, parts of it I loved, like, he got a toy at last. A That's proper cool. toy. And it had a proper, like, bleh, little ugly Sandman did face on it. Did have a kendo stick? He a did. kendo stick of a little beer? He did. Yeah. Well, actually, he didn't have a beer. I had to use my beer for my Steve Austin figure. But it was okay, because <laughs> they both drank Budweiser, so it was the same brand. It was kayfabe, was kept with my wrestling figures. You see now, you know how everyone pits Steve Austin against Sandman's, like, yeah. ripped him off? It's ridiculous, because they would have obviously been good friends. Of course. Sharing a beer together. Yeah. Talking about... Being a working man. It's really great. I remember actually on SmackDown versus Raw 2008, which is, uh, Sandman was actually in that video game, which interestingly, he's claimed to shoot you. It's the biggest payday he ever got in wrestling. He made like 75 grand just for being included in the game. I've heard that is really common. And yeah. like current wrestlers as well really rely on that apparently that's the payday that's like their bonus yeah because you used to get the bonus from the pay-per-views and mm. now it's like if you're in the video game and depending how prominently you're featured but uh, yeah I remember the, one of the lines of commentary the game had was like JR going like oh this guy drinks a lot of beer I think he might be friends with someone I know like <laughs> <laughs> that was really cool like a little, little bit so he had other play, like Sam had got a match at Wrestlemania 23 like as a part of a big tag match with some ECW guys you know he had some moments but before you know it, it's like ECW 
completely petered out. Heyman was gone. Vince, you know, WWE went PG in 2007. How do you have PG, ECW? You, you know, can't. You, you can't. literally can't. And while some people managed to find ways to continue on, you know, before you knew it, like Sabu was gone. Tommy Dreamer was still there. But like all the original guys were, were gone by the wayside. Mm. And Salmon was pretty miserable about it because the only good thing about it was that he was there with his friends, he said, and they were getting a good payday. And when you see what Sabu and Sandman and Dreamer, the fucking shit that they went through in terms of the knocks they, they took for that crowd to, to keep them happy in ECW. I was very happy just to see them getting a payday because this was the most money probably any of them were ever making in their careers. They were making good money at last and they fucking deserved it. But you mean at last? He was making loads of WCW. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Sandman's just like smog, like just like amassing this vast fortune. Like. <laughs> but I was just happy that they were getting a bit of mainstream recognition. Yeah. But he he was so fucking miserable there. Like, as like, I was at the shoot interview and it's like, what was it like being in WWE? What's the vibe in the locker room? He's like, yo, that fucking locker room was the most miserable fucking place I have ever been. Everyone is so fucking scared. You're going to take their spot. You're going to get fired. Something you're going to offend Vince. You're going to offend John. You're going to offend Triple H. He said he's hated it because, I mean, the ECW locker, it was just a fucking party. Mm. Like, it was a house party. You're obviously not going to enjoy the comparison. And to be fair, like the stuff I've heard wrestling this time was quite a sad place it sounds like mm. in wwe well this is as well like a time in wrestling when been rocked by you know previously mentioned the chris benoit tragedy mm. and like that was a time period there it's it's slowed down thank fucking christ but there was a period there from like 2005 to 2010 and i shit you not every fucking week it felt like a wrestler had died and it wasn't just a wrestler it was like a wrestler you knew and grew up with mm. was fucking died and like a really sad thing that sandman said in the shoot interview was that he was currently having uh, at the time of the shoot he was having an argument with his girlfriend because his girlfriend's mother had died and she didn't think that he was sad enough about it and he's like do you understand in the last five years I have lost 30 of my friends oh, 30 of my friends and like, he's like I can't be sad anymore about people dying like we watched a little short video we'll put up on the website from way back in the day like 2006 it came out a student film called Enter Sandman and one of the main reasons to watch it is just that uh, it's Salmon just going on a tour of England. He's been followed around by a student filmmaker. He's just, you know, making a little documentary. But Eddie Guerrero actually passes away, like Salmon finds out right before when the show. You just see he's like crying in the ring. It's mm. broken. That era of wrestlers, unfortunately, are the era where a lot of their colleagues and a lot of their friends die. And he's like... You know, Sandman was quite a gregarious character. Everyone has something nice to say about Sandman. And so he had a lot of friends. And it's just sad to think, you know, that how you, that's a miserable locker room to be in. It's then, you know, you find out all these people are passing away. Everyone's fucking sad and miserable. Paul Heyman's even been fucking fired. The show is going down the toilet. You know what else? Like, I might be totally making assumptions mm. here, but with what the Sandman went through with his own actual case of death yeah you you wonder if he had like a sense of guilt about the fact that he's almost survived a lot better considering all the shit mm. he put himself through mm. i reckon he thought he wasn't going to live past probably 35 anyway i know jake the snake roberts is someone who he he would all he'd like he'd curse himself he'd be like i can't believe like and when you hear someone would die he's like fuck it why if and you know when he was, was you know obviously jake's in a lot better place then but when he was in a dark place he was like fucking why is it that they're dying now not yeah. me I'm the fucking lad who's done all this fucking terrible shit like mm. and I think Sandman yeah there's probably if 
you know, last man standing in that ECW locker room in some respects because a lot of his compatriots and people he would have been sharing that lifestyle with are not with us anymore. Mm. And Sandman is. And I think he can only count himself as being one of the lucky ones in that Absolutely, sense. Absolutely, yeah. But if you're in that WWE environment and you're being jobbed out and you're not doing your music, I mean, all you're actually really doing is retraining an audience to not like you anymore yeah because it's like if I was a kid and I see the Sam I was like oh he's the guy who comes out and loses who doesn't have cool music as no. opposed to the older fan who knows Sandman as being, you know, enter Sandman. So he could see why he wanted out. He's being diluted. Yeah. And watching all his friends die. That's yeah. got to take the steam out of your out of your sails a bit. I think so. And I mean, he got drafted to Raw then. So he's not even on ECW anymore. They put him on Raw. Now, one or two funny things happened on Raw. We didn't mention before about how they did a thing where... Like, Sandman forgot to leave the ring and it was going to be that he was Vince's son, it felt like, for a second. There was actually another moment just like that where they had a battle royale to determine he was going to be the general manager of Raw. And it was all, like, no-name people in it. And during the match, uh, William Regal had been thrown out under the bottom rope and was hiding under the ring. And everyone had forgotten about him. And Sandman had cleared the ring. And this is left with the Sandman. And wow. The, and the match is about to be over. <laughs> this is the best bit on commentary because you think Sandman's going to become the general manager. And Jim Ross goes, oh, oh, my good God. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> like, what's, what's going to happen? Like, And then Regal comes in and throws him out, like... So Sandman didn't have a lot going from WWE. They'd give him a little insert and be like, Yo, I am the Sandman. I love drinking beers, chasing women. How you get in my way? I kill the holy hell out of you. Wait, chasing women or tasting women? <laughs> chasing women, Joe. He's a, he's a ladies' man. Oh, okay. I was saying, if he's a real ladies' man, he'd be tasting women, not chasing them. <laughs> yeah, are you listening, Dwayne The Rock Johnson? <laughs> yeah? I know you listen to this podcast. So the Sandman gets drafted to Raw. Our final match is Sandman's only singles pay-per-view appearance in the WWE, which is the Sandman taking on Carlito, Caribbean cool. Now, Joe Carlito uh, got a unique look. The man from the Isle of Puerto Rico, a son of the famous Puerto Rican grappler Carlos Colon, notorious for being one of the laziest and most underachieving wrestlers of all time and didn't get on in the WWE environment. What do you think of his gimmick with, uh, you know, his whole look and his cool afro? It's funny, the other day you were like, no one in wrestling has got an afro. I'm like, oh, Joe, little do you know. Yeah, he's got really cool hair. I like his Beautiful. hair a lot. Got bigger as the years went on Ooh, as well. Oh, I like that. I yeah. want to see more, more. Lovely, wispy microphone hair. <laughs> when he came out, I thought his gimmick was that he ate apples. Because he's got it on his Titan Tron. He comes out eating an apple. Yeah, he does like apples a lot. His favourite computer, it's an apple that he's actually running Linux on. You know, he's just an actual big apple he's carved out, you know. <laughs> apple man! But he apparently doesn't eat the apples. He just spits them in people's faces. And actually his spit here to Sandman was really impressive because he made it look like a Triple H spray. It's very impressive, that spit. Mm. And that's how this whole feud started. Sandman was drafted to Raw, hit Carlito with his stick. Backstage, Carlito was like, he's got a stick, that's not cool. And then he spat Sandman in the face with an apple. And then Sandman spat him in the face with beer. And there we have a Singapore cane on a pole match. That's a really lazy angle. A really lazy angle with Sandman who's literally got one foot out the door and someone who's notorious for being lazy. I shit you not, Sandman said in a shoot interview, I went up to Lido before this and said, yo, Carlito, my brother. Let's fucking do nothing tonight. And he goes, yo, that's cool, man. We locked up for fucking four minutes. The match was five. Do you know what his reasoning for this was? They're like, why would you do that? You know, you got an opportunity to be 
on the main show, a pay-per-view singles match. You know, a lot of people would, would kill for that. He goes, you, you gotta understand. You gotta understand. If you do lots of things in the match, they're gonna expect you to do loads of things from then on. And then he said, I shit you not, being in the ring in front of like 7 million people watching around the world and doing nothing, that is a fucking great feeling, man. He says he's doing nothing though, but I was surprised because this, he, I mean, that headlock was about 15 seconds long. Yeah, you it know what? I, not even 30. I thought this match was going to be a complete stinker clunker. Nah, it was. It was only shit. It was only shit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it was not that bad. And part of bad. that, I think, is the fucking concept of the match itself. A Singapore cane on a pole match. Now, Joe, you and I are very lucky to actually see in person wrestling bucket list moment folks you can scratch off Sia on the pole match live because Joe and Kevin did see Elias Sampson in a guitar on a pole match in the Manchester Evening News Arena and that was an all time classic wrestling moment yeah what are your thoughts on matches with things on poles I hate them <laughs> and I actually didn't really like the guitar on a pole match either it was shit Joe if we don't rally around Jason Jordan he'll never get over come on <laughs> it's so pointless I just, I hate the concept. But the thing they want is on a pole, right? And they have to get up there onto the pole and get it. Yeah, how is that different from going underneath the mat, under the ring and getting it that way? Because that would be a DQ. In a, in a, on a pole match, if you go up there and you grab it, it's legal. Then you can use it. So the object of the match is whoever gets the stick can use it legally in the oh, match. I just hate it. I think it's pointless. I hate it so much. And I really hate that it's a Singapore cane on a pole match, given that Sandman fucking comes to the ring with his Singapore cane. Which then gets put up on a pole. Stupid. Notice anything that Sandman was lacking in this entrance now as well. He had no beer. Where the fuck's his beer gone? They Come are on. slowly diluting him into the most boring wrestler ever. Diluting? What are you deleting him like? You know, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. It's There's like left. nothing... He's got the cane. That's it. And he looks miserable as well. Yeah, he looks so depressed. It's really, really I fucking hard. do not blame him saying, let's fucking do nothing. For that. Fucking Brock Lesnar and Goldberg did a match where they did literally nothing. <laughs> yeah. For no good reason. Yeah. Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant did a match where they did nothing and that was the main event of wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> this puts both of those matches to shame. Even though it's still shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's how... Slightly above the average yeah. shit that this match is. I mean, it's very strange because I heard around this time the you know reading the dirt sheets from from back in two thousand seven is a bit of a cesspool because that's when everyone decided they could get websites made on Wix very quickly and cheaply. But a lot of people at the time were saying that the rumor was that Vince McMahon really liked the Sandman character. Like he so re- what he just decided to ruin it. He wanted to mold it, I think, into his vision. He wanted Sandman to be a heel because he thought he had a great face and a great look. Yeah, he does. I think he was in his mind that blue collar Sandman drinking a beer was too much like Steve Austin, maybe, or he didn't want him to do that. But he had plans for Sandman apparently, and he did really like him. Well, I disagree because I think if you actually liked Sandman, you wouldn't just change who Sandman was. I'm sorry, yeah. but if you like someone for who they are, you don't just change them. It's like they say, pal, if you love something, release it and wish them the best in their future endeavours. <laughs> they've just ruined Sandman. Like, it is. All they've like, given him left is his wrestling ability. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of that no. left. No. And that's sad as well because like, 
honestly, if they'd done this to Sandman, like, in WCW, they did that. But at least Sandman, it was, like, you know, 10 years prior. At least he could still go a bit. Mm. Sandman ain't doing no somersault leg drops and shit like that now. He ain't doing no dives to the outsides. Although he is really impressive when... Because he manages to get the cane off the pole. Yeah, even though he gets no, literally no offense in the no, match. No, none. But he does really climb that pole. It's very impressive. I thought it was a rib on them. Like, they were trying to play a little joke on the two lazy wrestlers. The fact that normally when you go to the pole match, you climb to the second rope, you reach up, and it's there. On the top rope, Sandman is up there. And it's funny, because, like, they do the thing with the camera angle looking down. And Jim Ross is like, by God, how high are they up? It's like, he's on the second rope, right? That's how high up he is. But Sandman, yeah, he literally has to shimmy up that yeah. fucking thing. I wouldn't have been able to to get up there. No he's way. He's literally going up to the top like he's fucking Super Mario going to pull down the flagpole. It's a good Yo! thing he climbed all that scaffolding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's got transferable skills. So, in a truly depressing moment, Sandman gets the cane, comes down, swings, misses, Carlito hits his finisher, and wins. But no, Vince McMahon loves Sandman, which is why he ruined him. So, Joe, Carlito, Sandman, a match that you've used the word shit to describe three times now, how many stars would you give it? More than Vince versus Shane. Fuck's sake. 1.5 stars. <laughs> <laughs> he, apparently, the straw that broke the camel's back, there was one of the backstage producers one of the agents really didn't like Sandman at all Ricky the Dragon Steamboat like on a personal level or he didn't like him as a performer a little bit of both his reputation as a performer coloured Ricky Steamboat's opinion of him as a person let's just say Ricky Steamboat by the way is someone who you kind of hear in the same breath as Ric Flair and Sting in terms of like an old NWA goat you know wrestled two hours time limit type of match so you can see why there would be a bit of a yeah, he distance really there. Yeah, a real wrestler. And I think the straw that brought the camels back, they were doing a tour to Africa and a long flight on the plane and Sam had like an unlit cigarette in his mouth and Ricky Steamboat was like really pissed off at him for having it. He's like, you can't smoke here. And he's like, yo, I only got an unlit cigarette. I'm not going to fucking smoke, obviously. And literally they nearly got into a fight because Ricky Steamboat was convinced Sam was going to light up his cigarette on the fucking plane. Jesus. I mean, I've known people who smoke who like to have the cigarette in their mouth like just to... I mean, I, I'm, it's like an oral fixation. I'm orally and tactfully mm. fixated. I always have something in my hand and my mouth all the time. I understand that. Like, I understand the need to do that. Mm. So, yeah. Like, if he actually did smoke on the plane, fine. Fucking fight him, whatever. That's a dick thing to do. Yeah. But like, just having an unlit cigarette, come on now, chill. And there's another dick thing as well, which is, like, literally, like, they decided... The show started late on one of the, the shows and they decided they were going to like not book a bunch of people. They didn't tell them. So like Sam and like three or four other people like travel across Africa to make this other show. And then it's like, oh yeah, you're not needed actually. Fucking hell. You know, hell. and it's just... That's so shitty. I think this is when Sam had sold his construction company. Didn't need the money and off he went. Like, I'm so happy though because like... You could so, like, in so many other episodes we've done where the wrestlers have left on bad terms, where they're, mm. like, this, thraw, this final straw that broke the camel's back and they're like, right, fine, I fucking quit. And then they go off into obscurity and they never do anything good again. Mm. And they they wrestle shit local matches and it's really sad. That's great, though. He had a construction company he just sold. He's going to go live the high life now he's left. Well, that's what happened, really, is that, I mean, he had, I know he's had a lot of dark years and dark times because after he got released, I remember there was like there was a warrant out for his arrest at one point for like alimony payments that he missed. Oh no, that's I know really sad. There was another time he was arrested because like Captain Lou Albano had like a really fucking crazy party and like the cops showed up and Sam and started throwing beers at the cops like bottles of beer at them and got oh arrested. God. So he had some really fucking fucked up times. 
But he appeared then randomly, like he showed up in TNA for a bit. He would appear here and there in different indie shows. But he really found a second life for himself. Like he said he was officially retired. And now Tommy Dreamer runs House of Hardcore and Sandman shows up there. And honestly, seeing I think there's a Sandman versus Joey Ryan like he did at WrestleCon last year. To see him come out, he's looking well. Mm. He seems to have moved on from being a full-time wrestler. He seems to be kind of semi-retired in that sense. And he seems to be really having a fucking great time. I'm sorry, I'm trying to fight back this big fucking massive grin because we got tweeting from someone um, <laughs> and then Joe followed up on it and we found out this really like fucking <laughs> little happy ending basically that I didn't realise because I watched those shoot interviews, Joe, and it really depressed me. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than seeing someone full of regret who's full of anger and full of fucking hatred for so many people and everyone in the interview he was talked about he fucking hated them or oh, you know so he, he was has on bad terms with a lot of people and he was asked if he had any regrets about his run at the end of that shoot I watched and it was from around 2009 I think and he goes I regret not loving it while I lived it mm. and that is just such a fucking downer like you know and this is Sandman saying that after he'd drinking half a bottle of Jack and six beers in the middle of his fucking shoot interview now there was a blog I read on House of Hardcore, which is like, yeah, he's like, he's doing well. He doesn't do drugs anymore, but he still drinks. Mm. But like, he's got his shit together and he's connected with his family. Twitter, we got a tweet in from someone pointing out this amazing thing. Joe, please tell the people about this because I can't fight this big grin in my face anymore. Yeah, if there's a reason why we all sounded a bit giddy throughout this whole episode, it's because this is literally the thing we looked at before we started recording. This is how to wrestling catnip, basically. Yeah. Captain Tony sent this in on Twitter. Proof that you don't need to be a technical wizard or even a technical stage magician to be loved by the fans. Has one of the most funny, underrated wrestling Twitters out there. He comes across as just a funny dad who loves his kids. Now that was weird because you said that and I was like, nah, I looked up for his Twitter and I found one that hadn't been updated since 2010 and like another one that hadn't been updated since 2014 yeah. and a few that looked like they were definitely fake because Sandman clearly doesn't remember his password and just starts yo I got a new Twitter up in here and it's, he's not like verified on no! any of them there's three other profiles that say this is the official home of the Sandman that links to his website and like I'm so used to with episodes like, especially with like Dean Ambrose I spent yeah. ages trying to find his Twitter it's like here it finally no it's an unofficial one that's run by a fan or oh here it is oh he's never posted yeah. I was so resigned to my ad doesn't exist and I was in the other room going yeah I've already checked that there ain't no Twitter up there I'm not looking at tweets from eight years ago fuck that noise oh no so Kevin managed to actually find it and it's so cute you guys it's, what is the, the actual so Twitter cute. handle it's Zandman S-Z-Z and man Okay. So Sandman with two Zs after the S. <laughs> you know like real spelling Fucking. and his, his, his like, actual display name is Hack with a backwards K Upside down K. An upside down K. Right, I'll tell you right now, there's nothing, right? There's nothing that brings me more joy and, and Joe more joy than seeing cute wrestling social media. Yeah. It comes in unexpected places sometimes. Mm. John Cena's Instagram is the, pretty much the mecca of it. This is my new favourite cute social media. I, I'm not going to lie, I welled up a little bit. I almost had tears in my eyes when I saw the fucking look of sheer joy on Hardcore Hack's face and all these pictures where he's going golfing with his buddies, hanging out with his kids, going to a fucking Bruno Mars concert with his daughter, playing Fortnite with his seven-year-old. It's, it's the so, sweetest fucking thing. So cute. He like he loves his family so much. You can see like And oh. everything is like 
if it's fuck, it's something bad, and fuck yeah, it's something good. Yeah, so it's like got fucking like every tweet with no C, no C. So it's fuck, it's snowing, and he's there like it's all snow around him. He's got a smile like fuck yeah, got a new fire pit installed. He's there with his new barbecue <laughs> and his kids. It's just so fucking sweet to see. It's like everything you hoped for in like an epilogue and a happy ending like yeah. and I hope I'm not overselling it but just check it out there's you know, an especially cute video where he goes golfing I think with his son oh, yeah they go to see Tiger Woods and Tiger Woods walks by and you hear Sandman behind the camera going fuck Tiger <laughs> so yeah it's just full of sweet pics him golfing with his buddies and there's all these pictures with him and a bunch of the old ECW guys guys who he was like fucking burying in the previous shoots and he's just happy with them yeah he's like he stayed in touch with all and they've got this like little in jokes banter that they do you made a really interesting point about this because we've you know we've done the Dudley Boys previously and he pointed out it was very very true about these ECW guys the guys that are still standing from that locker room and it's not nice to say that but it's the reality Mm. a lot of people passed away there seems to be an unfucking breakable bond of friendship between yeah. them, the top ECW guys, which I don't see Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, hanging out with the rock and mankind. You know, not, not taking anything away, they live different lives and whatnot, but it's just, those are friendships that have lasted, and it's so sweet to see healthy, happy Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, Bubba Ray Dudley, Blue Meanie, Francine, all these people just hanging out and being fucking pals, and it's, it's heartwarming. Yeah, it's so nice, and he's just... He's so funny on Twitter. And it's great because it's like, it's part nostalgia. There's a lot of pictures of him like wrestling back Mm. in the day. Loads of pictures of like him on holiday with his son. And he is, he's living the good life. Yeah, he's a fucking yacht club. like Yacht club, golf club, (laughs) he's on holiday all the time. It's making me sunny everywhere that he is at all times. He did a great tweet about how much he loves pickles. (laughs) Sounds stupid, I know, but these pickles are total comfort food for me. Brings me back to my grandmum's kitchen. I fucking love pickles, man. He also doesn't spell back with a C or chicks with a C so any CK he, do- he drops that C out of there obviously. Uh, except for pickles, pickles except for pickles, pickles, the C. <laughs> pickles with no C would be amazing <laughs> so that's like the unexpected happy little pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that is the very strange very unique and very incredible career of the Sandman thank you everyone for all the match recommendations and the segment recommendations there is a list of extended recommended viewing up on howtowrestling.com if you want to get your hands on some more videos to watch as well as the match list but now to hear your thoughts on the hardcore icon it's time for your tweets I checked into this hotel. It was like I bothered the lady to check the fuck in. I'm like, what are you kidding me? Anywhere else, they greet you with a smile. Go to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. They have 1.1 fucking billion people in Malaysia, which is technically fucking smaller than the size of Texas. Those people are happier than fucking these people in England, and most of them make nothing. People treat you with a smile. Here, nobody treats you with a smile. Nobody's like, hey, what can I do for you? They're like, ha, you're bothering me. I'm in the middle of my job. Well, your fucking job is to check me to fucking stop being so fucking miserable. Fucks. I don't understand this fucking country. English people are fucked up if they only stay.
stepped back, read the goddamn paper, watched CNN, watched the BBC, watched TASS news agency from fucking Russia, they would realize that it ain't so fucking bad here. It's a hell of a lot worse everywhere else on this fucking planet. First one from Waggy2Dope420. Uh, thank you so wow. much for sending in a tweet so I get to read that out on this podcast. Are they a insane clown pussy gang member? I have no idea. Okay. I loved him when I was a teenager. I hear people saying he's just an entrance, which is fair. But for me, he wrestles like his character, a sloppy drunk. ECW attitude personified. He never thought he was anything more than that as well. Like, it's there's so many guys who are shit wrestlers, like, with very limited skills. Like, Goldberg, during his peak, he could he literally knew two moves. Mm. But he had that fucking star mindset that was tunneled into him from the top guys in WCW and the brass. And it was like, you have to be protected. And he had a very high opinion of himself to his detriment then when he went yeah. elsewhere. Sandman never thought he was anything more than what he was. And that worked to his benefit because... Simon now is like, yo, don't book me to take any bumps because it'll look fucking horrible. Good. I wish more wrestlers fucking understood that. that. Hulk Hogan could fucking take a leaf out of Simon. Take the whole fucking book, Hulk Hogan, okay? (laughs) Anthony Travis says, a mythological figure made out of beer cans and cigarette butts. Matches were hard to find and as such, I think it protected his lack of ability and elevated him to cult status because you would only see the highlights of this maniac destroying everyone his path. That's totally it. That's how I got into the Simon man that's like what i saw i saw i remember the the clip or the match that i was shown when my brother's friends had the ecw video that they had gotten from some tape trader and it was sandman in the corner a chair put up against his face he was in the tree of woe and there was a running drop kick that was done to him and there's a pool of blood oh! underneath. i was like this guy is fucking hardcore man whoa and I was 10 or whatever, you know. So how did you actually find matches of his then as a 10-year-old? As a 10-year-old, it was literally just be tapes that friends of my brother would have. And then when I was like 11 or 12, that's when ECW started being shown on uh, Bravo and they would show some kind of clips and highlights and stuff like that. So and I that's saw, when you had to step really late to watch. Yeah, that's why the, the one I shouldn't have been watching. But it's so interesting about this whole thing is that I went in here with the Goldberg thing in my head. At the end of the Goldberg episode, it was kind of like, uh, well, I guess he had to be there. And I really thought this is would have been the case with Sandman, which is... You know, once you can see all of Sandman at the tip of a button on the network, then yeah, you've seen it all. Like, but you ended up enjoying him, which is uh, I yeah. thought was, I was I was surprised. I enjoy his character. Yeah, it's a good character. It fits him. He obviously kind of lived it. That's the thing. It's like so authentic of him to mm. do it. You couldn't just grab a random guy and be like, right, you're gonna smoke cigarettes and drink beer. <laughs> yeah, it would just be really uncool. Here's the thing I want to know though, because. A large part of Salmon's appeal, I think, and for you as well, it seems, has been the fact that it's that he's that beacon, he's that link to the early mm. 2000s, late 90s, and what was cool then. I wonder, like, if 14, 15-year-olds saw Salmon now, if they'd be yeah. like, what? I would be <laughs> yeah. very interested to know. In fact, anyone listening to this show, if you're, like, you know, a teenager now or at least, you know, are a bit younger than old me and Kevin here. I'd love to know if you think Sandman is is cool or if he comes across as really dated. Because, like, I really like him. But I must admit, I I have been in that period of time where I listened to Metallica. Yeah, it it does. It's relatable. Yeah, Yeah. and kind of liked that hardcore kind of lifestyle. My friends were a lot of that kind of Mm. people. So it'd be really interesting to know for people who didn't have that crowd. Yeah, because, I mean... Is there still the nostalgia? Because that's what mainstream cool counterculture was yeah absolutely and I know that's not what it is anymore and I just think that like Sandman is very much like it's a he's a one-off in that sense in that 
no one could start up now with that gimmick. No, absolutely. I, I stick by that. I don't think that could have worked. You know? And that's interesting, though, because uh, one of the sweetest tweets I saw on Hack's timeline was a photo of his son, Tyler, going training at the Dudley Boys Wrestling School to think Tyler, the little boy who was abducted by Raven, is now training to be a wrestler. Like, I hope he just doesn't try to be his dad. I hope he realises oh, that he no. can't be. I hope he uses his dad to build his character. Mm. Because I think that could make a really interesting wrestling gimmick. Yeah. Like I've like almost like Mick Foley could do with his future kids. Yeah. Like yeah. I've seen my dad brutalized in the ring. Like Yo. what did that do to me? <laughs> Being abducted by Raven. Well, I'm just saying, right? If when he has got the minimum required amount of wrestling training, training Ty Fullington, someone needs to get Raven booked for a show and have a face to face because that would be the fucking bomb. <laughs> and then you get Sandman to come in, do his entrance, <laughs> hit him up with a kendo stick, and that's done. And you've got a fucking amazing show. <laughs> <laughs> LHDH said one of those guys who made an entire career out of pure charisma and absolutely zero actual talent a weird amount of respect for the guy on that basis yeah me too I mean I don't think he's been con like if you want to think if he was conning people and like mm. he never actually wrestled the thing at the end of the day Sandman did get in the ring and he would wrestle there's so many guys like Goldberg who would con you I hate to keep bringing up Goldberg but he seems like the most relevant example where the matches were so short that you were just left thinking, this guy's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and you didn't realise that he couldn't actually go. Sam, man, he wasn't no fucking magician. He was literally going like, yo, here I come. And like, the, the silence in the matches counteracted to the loudness for his entrance. Mm. That's as if anyone like hadn't figured that out. Everyone knew. Like, the first thing you hear, you hear Joey Styles, Heyman, anyone, even Sam man himself. They were like, the secret to Sam man was that he couldn't wrestle. Like, we watched the clip of Paul Heyman be interviewed by Inside the Ropes, and he's like, literally like... You know, that's the beauty of the Sandman. Like, you know, he couldn't wrestle. And mm. Heyman's whole thing was hiding the negatives and accentuating the positives. And, like, that's really valuable, actually, to the Sandman himself as well. Like, you say about Goldberg, the fact that he, he could think quite highly of himself even though he didn't have a huge amount of technical ability. But similarly, on this, the other end of that spectrum, it'd be quite easy to go, well, I'm actually a bit of a shit wrestler, to be honest. I probably mm. shouldn't even bother. Mm. And to actually have the confidence in yourself to recognise, well, I may not be the best, you know, athlete. Yeah. But I actually do, I can bring something to this that, you know, maybe other people can't do. Mm. And to, to really appreciate your own your own value. And also as well, it's very easy to appreciate your own value when that incorporates basically getting to live a party <laughs> 24-7 for three years of your life. <laughs> this one's from PT Fly. Samman was basically what the edgy young male ECW fan would like to think they would be as a wrestler. He managed to be aspirational by setting a really low bar. <laughs> I don't have any truck with those fans, but the song was nice. BJ Samblin says, My lasting Sandman memory was when he came to Dublin in Christmas 2003 to fight Perry Saturn. Boozing in the stands, doing his thing, he pours beer down the throat of a heavily pregnant girl who must have been only about 16. Oh, fucking hell. I never did get those photos developed. <laughs> Holy shit. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Uh, well, I remember I told you about the guy who was like, you 18? Uh, yeah, <laughs> beer pour. Oh, we saw these. So many in the, yeah, times in the crowd, he literally guzzles a beer and hands it to a child who must be about Yay! six. He's like, the can's bigger than <laughs> Frank Mullis says, I was inside the building at Heatwave 2000 pay-per-view during his entrance, Ooh. and it may be as close to a religious experience as I'll ever get at a wrestling show. It felt like being a member of a chorus singing Enter Sandman at the top of my lungs with everybody. There's something I wanted to mention about that, because like, you know, I got to go and 
and see Sam at you know, in the leisure center, which obviously wasn't authentic ECW. He fucking wrestled against Test for fuck's sake. Like, it was you know, it was a it was not a, a religious experience. It was a fun experience. I feel sometimes that there is a belief, particularly around fans who are maybe very into their mid to late thirties. Or, or older, who believe that there was a magic with the ECW crowd in the entrance that has since been lost to the realms of time. You'll never have an experience like, you know, the Sandman coming out at an ECW show. And while it'll not be exactly the same thing, I will tell you from the UK scene that I've been to, when I've been to see Progress and I went to the UK Championship with you, like, you get that vibe. Oh, absolutely. And that's, even with, like, the entrances, yeah. like, Tyler Bates' entrance... Don't fucking tell me that you don't get like a religious experience from hearing Sledgehammer <laughs> and chanting along with all the well, fans. That's it, yeah. It's it's a really similar. I imagine it's a really similar feeling anyway. But you know what that is? Is the fact that you've got all these indie shows now that are being booked and promoted by people who grew up watching mm. stuff like this and going, "That's what Heyman always said when he was booking the Sandman. It was because he wanted people to look at that and go." That sounds like a fun party. I want to be there. Mm. And you know what? Like, I would say you get that vibe at a lot of those big indies that are around. And in America as well, not just in the UK. Yeah, I don't think it's anything to do with, like, the edginess or the extreme thing. It's, it's the fact that it's a niche. It feels special mm. and, like, it's a secret club. You're all and, the fans. You all know yeah. this thing. Like. And you've got the atmosphere of the excitement of a... Like, a live wrestling show, there's always going to be a cool atmosphere. Mm. Especially if it's in a smaller yeah. arena, I think. So yeah, I, I think I think you can kind of almost experience. You can be part of a loud hive mind and enjoy wrestling. Yeah. It still is very much. It's not unique to the late nineties. <laughs> Scott OTD said it was always baffling to me during the WWE ECW days when the crowd would shout "same old shit" or "you can't wrestle" at so many wrestlers, but then lose their minds to Sandman. <laughs> I guess I just don't get it. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean. It's, it's goodwill. That's it. You know, I think all wrestlers get started off with a default amount of goodwill mm. and can grow that over time. And Sandman has got that special buff, that, you know, that aura, you know, of, of infinite goodwill with the crowd. I don't think Sandman, if you think of a man who's been in the ring naked and a man who's been in the ring when he's put himself and others at massive risk... If he still has goodwill with the fans, I don't think there's any way he could lose that goodwill at this point. Yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Is like, Salmon was never positioned or pushed as being anything other than what he was. People mm. aren't going to chance saying, well, shit, it's Salmon, because they're not making him, particularly in the WWE ECW, they weren't making out that this guy was an amazing wrestler at all. Like, mm. you know, the commentators would just go on at length about how he's not a wrestler and he's a fighter. That's all he knows is how to fight. <laughs> Little Voices Ed says... I'd heard almost legendary stories about this man and ECW as a whole. I was so intrigued to find out more. And then the first match I saw him in, he was drunk and passed out in the ring. Never meet your heroes. He has fallen asleep a few times. In in, in the ring? I've, yeah, there is. I know there's a video that was floating around back in the day, which was uh, some indie promotion that booked him and he like fell asleep. And then he just put up the whole video. It was like the night the Sandman went to sleep and he's literally just in the corner like having a little doze. I don't know how I would react if a wrestler fell asleep in the ring while I was at a live show. If you'd already done the entrance, I would have been alright, to be honest. <laughs> like, you know. Fine. Cut him backstage. I hope he enjoys his nap. Have a good sleep, man. <laughs> the ex-William says, Just after WWE revived ECW, they held an ECW-only house show in Huntingdon, VW. 
Saman did his usual entrance and actually stood on the back of my seat. He completely drenched me in beer. And that's what I think of when hearing his name. His entrance was a fun spectacle. Man, cold beer. Cold fizz running down your back that sticks. God damn, that ain't a pleasant feeling. I hate, I feel for you, man. At least I was, you know, I had a good meter distance away. I got the spray, but yeah, not I wanna the be, pour. Yeah, I want to be sprayed, not poured. Yeah, <laughs> unless it's going straight into my mouth, in which case that's kind of okay. Well, that's going to do it for the Sandman. Joe, you ended up enjoying this man quite a lot, it seems. I did. I was very pleasantly surprised, actually. I find myself always defending him, I think, at points. like Yeah. I, I realise that lots of people don't like him and he is just an entrance, but like... Oh, that. Oh. I think there's some fucking mean people out there in wrestling who've taken advantage and shit like that. I just, I just don't feel him. I think he's very lucky and you know very fortunate that that's like one of the biggest things at play with his career. I think was good timing, right place, right time, right gimmick, right people around mm. him. But I find it hard to have anything but respect for someone who managed to go so far and do so well with such little to mm. his disposal you know so yeah i completely get it like if you if your thing is technical like and i love technical wrestling i mm. love flipty doos obviously that's how i got into wrestling and but if that's like the only thing you enjoy fine i get it this, this yeah. isn't for you but like if you like the spectacle of wrestling and the theatrics side yeah. of things and the showmanship what always summed up sandman for me was when daniel bryan was a heel in ring of honor and was like the real kind of i'm the best in the world like technical asshole and i remember once just turning to someone in the crowd going what are you talking about nice sandman shirt asshole like just <laughs> like that was the ultimate cut down you're a sandman fan you're a real wrestling fan like a proper technical fan Wow. Which I think you know, that was just so funny, like that Sandman can epitomize for some people the wrong side of wrestling. So yeah, if it's not your bag, it's not your bag, but you can't help but fucking deny it. he made a fucking great living for himself. Yeah. Doing fuck all. <laughs> so I mean I have one question for you, Kevin, before yes. we before we finish. And that is knowing obviously we know he's living well. He's obviously he's lived he's living a good life now, yeah. right? He's he seems very happy. He's on Twitter with his his kids and he's having a grand old time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it can't be denied that he obviously had a really rough time throughout his career. Yeah. A lot of alcohol and, and drug problems. Yeah. Would you say overall that the Sandman gimmick was good for him? Oh, damn. <sighs> What, good for him as a wrestler or good for him as, as, a as a person? I mean, there's people who can always make the argument that wrestling is not good for you full stop. But there's one thing that was very true about him, I think it always gets very forgotten, is that he's a total fan and he loved wrestling and he wanted to be a wrestler. So in that sense, yes, because there was no gimmick or nothing that Jim Fullington could have done that would have got him more success and more notoriety in wrestling than the Sandman gimmick. That being said, it caused him to get injured probably more than he would have with any other gimmick. It caused him to essentially live a lifestyle and live a gimmick for probably more long than he strictly necessarily needed to. I mean, that Enter Sandman clip, there's times he's sitting there with a big beer can in his hand. You know he doesn't even like beer. It's just like, here we go, glug, glug, glug. And yeah, he's done untold damage to himself. He's probably also, you know, avoided a lot of injury and stuff to himself by being that, you know, the... He's dodged some harsh aspects of wrestling and embraced fully some of the more detrimental parts of wrestling. Mm. So I don't know if I can say. As it stands right now, yeah, because he seems to be that he's done well for himself. But he seems like he's a very smart guy. Like he's a he's 
He's, he's in touch with the world around him. He's politically minded. He keeps up with current events. He owned all these companies outside of wrestling. He probably could have lived a very happy, normal life outside of the business. But he seems to be enjoying it now and enjoying the fruits of his labours. So I have to say it's probably good for him overall. I say that with a lot of hesitation and trepidation. <laughs> but it does suck. I mean, he looks like he's happy. So many people in his position would be dead. And he's not. So yeah. he's got that going from at the very least. And he's got a great relationship with his family, which again, yeah. a lot of wrestlers not so blessed to have. We don't know if we'll be seeing the Sandman and the accountability crib anytime soon with DDP doing yoga. But, oh, uh... I'd love that. <laughs> Sandman, get on the DDP. Yes, everyone. I don't think you can pay DDP enough money in the world to have the Sandman living in his How house. great an odd couple would that be? Sandman fucking loves gluten. It's his favourite. <laughs> Well, on from one hardcore extreme icon onto another iconic thing in its own right, looking at something synonymous with ECW after looking at something synonymous with WWE and Vince McMahon, I thought we'd take a little trip down south. This is another one that has been requested and one I'm very excited to see. There is a concept of a match exclusive to WCW and has made one appearance in WWE since then on NXT. Joe, you and I are going to be learning all about the two-ring Two steel roofed cage match known simply as the War Games. The War Games has been where scores were settled in WCW since time immemorial. We're looking for some of the all-time classic all-out brawls that happened in the War Games. I'm also interested to know about some of the lesser War Games matches because I'm pretty sure there are a few out there. There's very few things that connected late 99 WCW that we just saw to the NWA of the 1980s with Ric Flair and Sting. War Games is that thing. It's a thread that runs through it all. It was WCW's signature match, some could argue. We have not seen the NXT match that had the War Games recently, so I'm really excited to see that. That is definitely one we've been watching. We're after match recommendations. If you're someone who was a fan of WCW back in the day and grew up watching these, I want to know some of the memories. Did it send a chill down your spine to hear War Games was coming like it did with Hell in a Cell and me when I was a child? I'm excited to find out. I have never watched a War Games match. What? Never watched a War Games match. Because I always thought, oh God, two rings? That's going to be fucking sloppy. Yeah, I must admit, I'm nervous about this because I don't like really cage matches. I've heard that there's some of the greatest brawls in WCW history. Like, highest rated matches apparently take place in there. Okay. And Ric Flair has written in his book that the War Games is like one of the greatest matches of all time. I'm excited. Preferably if we can watch some with characters we've already talked about a little bit. I know DDP has been in there. I know Scott Hall has been in there, as is Goldberg. But yeah, War Games is going to be our next episode. Let us know your thoughts, match recommendations, and more using the hashtag HowToWarGames. The match list, as well as the awesome artwork, will be available on HowToWrestling.com forward slash upcoming. As always, thank you very much for listening to How To Wrestling and thank you all so much for your tweets making this episode. I think a lot of people thought that Sandman was going to be a bit of a throwaway episode. I thought it might be as well and it ended up being a really interesting discussion. So thank you everyone for your illuminating opinions and match and promo recommendations as always. If you want to help out How To Wrestling immeasurably, you can. Of course, don't forget to leave us your tweets and comments for How To War Games using the hashtag. But the best way is to leave a rating or review for us on your podcast app of choice. 
is on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Leave us a like, a rating, a review, a comment. It always helps. Best thing you can do is always tell a friend. But there is a new place that you can leave reviews for us as well, Joe. It's on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash HowToWrestling. Leave us a review. Give us a comment. Let us know what you think about the show. We're always looking to improve and hear your feedback to make the show even better. But until next time, and we're talking about the War Games, it's me. It's, I just realized. Fucking hell. The War Games. Shockmaster's in one of those, isn't he? What is he? He does because he goes, I'll see you at Fall Brawl. Oh, at the War Games. <laughs> You're right. So it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you at, at the, the War Games. Games. <laughs> 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 see ya. I'm sorry, I have to. Please, th is there a picture? Can I go quickly Google this? Um, yeah, you try Hulk Hogan Fireball. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior. I'm so... Oh, there's a video. It's only 30 seconds long. Yeah, wow, he literally isn't trying to hide it as well. Look at that. He's just got it there yep. in his little pouch. <laughs> See, the problem there is Hogan tried to go for the advanced technique, which is to, yeah. to cast it. You have to be able to conjure it before you can cast it, Hogan. <laughs> Fucking never should have broken in this business. That's so funny. And that's so funny. It's actually made me forget something I wanted to say about fireballs. <laughs>